Welcome to another Cleveland Moto Podcast. It's episode number 316, and we're going to talk about building your own bike from a crate with your friends. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. We're building a motorcycle out of wood? Out of wood. That's correct. <laughs> I like to refer to you all now as fellow competitors. Fellow builders, building competitors. Yes, exactly. Competitors of builds. Tonight's podcast, we're going to talk about um, the uh, Cleveland Moto Build a Bike Challenge. There, there's rules. There's going to be discussion. We're going to get heated. There's going to be all kinds of uh, balderdash going on. But we're also going to talk about sidecar rigs because some of our Patreon listeners had asked questions about sidecar rigs. And I think that's an excellent thing. Um, we'll hold that off until Steve gets here because he's he owns a sidecar rig. He's one of uh, one of us demented fools that owns sidecar rigs. Uh, and we've got some Patreon uh, feedback to go through, some listener loyal listener mail and stuff, which is super cool. <laughs> to my immediate left is Cromkey. I don't know how you look at it. <laughs> it's never not funny. <laughs> it, it reminds you right away that you're not in reality. Uh, tonight I'm drinking a special concoction that is uh, blackstrap rum, silver rum. Falernum, I'm going to get there, uh, Luxardo syrup, and there was another booze in there. What's that? Kahlua. Kahlua. That's right. Kahlua. Just to throw that little coffee curveball at you. And so that's what I'm imbibing in tonight. So, What was that second liquor you, you talked about? Um, black, blackstrap? And blackstrap rum, which is Cruzan, you know, bottom shelf deliciousness and uh, made a painkiller and then uh and then silver rum and then uh kalua coffee rum so three different kinds of rum and then uh flarenum which also oh. has rum in it and also, what the hell's flarenum flarenum sounds like something that comes out of your throat yeah it's a little you, you get a little flarenum right back here and when you get the flarenum right back here um you can make flarenum yourself so this is falernum. Are you sure? Because I heard that like if you want your gag reflex gone, you have to remove the flarenum. You do. You uh, right. It's the uh, the, the frenulum. Oh. Yeah. Speaking of falernum. Right. Speaking of falernum. <laughs> so uh, falernum is going to have ginger. It's going to have cane sugar. It's going to have lime, and it's going to have cloves. It's wow. extraordinarily delicious. It's very aromatic. It's, it's um, if, if you don't have a bottle of Flarenum, uh, you can make Flarenum yourself. There's tons of recipes online. But if you want to buy uh, buy your own, Maggie's Farm is my go-to for the house here. I like the Maggie's Farm. And uh, Maggie, <clears throat> Flarenum, one ounce of Flarenum is enough to change the flavor profile of any cocktail, making it m more delicious. And it also comes in a black bottle, which is kind of cool too. I'm sure, I'm sure I made the I made the homemade one about yep. a year ago, and it says not to keep it more than sixty days. But I still had some left and tried it the other day. It seemed like it's still it's still fine. 
You know, everything that's in here, there's nothing in here that's really, you know, bad for each other, especially if you keep it cold. Um, well, there's rum in it, so. There is rum in it. So that's a, that's a good thing. So a lot of bars will make their own flair in them. I'm, I'm just lazy and I just buy Maggie's Farm. It's much cheaper for me to buy it that way than it is to get the ingredients and make it myself. I'm sure with flavor the flavor Yeah, I was going to say with the clove in it, making it yourself, I'm sure there's a fine balance of like the proper amount of clove and like, holy shit, that's too much clove. Like, oh, if you, I mean, those of us that grew up going to raves and acid house parties in the 90s will yeah, tell you that. That's me. One girl smoking a clove cigarette to throw the whole place off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great mixologist uh, tip on the uh, falernum. Yeah, falernum's great. Falernum is one of those things, like, I don't like building complicated drinks. I like drinking complicated drinks that somebody else put together. And the falernum is a cheap, it's a cheap, down and dirty way to get to your cocktail more quickly by just, like, like who doesn't have three different bottles of rum? So throw that in and throw some falernum. You got a cocktail and people think you're fancy. Well, let me ask you this. How's falernum do in your morning coffee? I don't know. I've never drank it that way, but I'm sure it's delicious. I mean, cloves, ginger, um, lime. That's not great for coffee. You know, acid. <laughs> Almonds. <laughs> but the, uh, you can try it sometime. I mean, we one time we sat around after a rally. We drank uh, Kafka, which was equal parts coffee and vodka. Um, <laughs> don't recommend it. No. You know, Chris, I've heard that falernum goes really well after you brush your teeth. That's like perfect. <laughs> That is a waste of flaring <laughs> That is that is absolutely a waste of flaring But uh, we drank uh, fast Mai Tais, like, again, the fast cocktails, like the idea of a fast cocktail. When we filmed our Moda Stories with Uncle Phil and Uncle John, we all I had was the Trader Vic's Mai Tai mix, which is like concentrated it's down and dirty you're supposed to cut it one-to-one with water we didn't do that we we cut it one-to-one with more rum and it was <laughs> fantastic the uh it, it really it turned out to be the perfect fast cocktail and after the third one john actually <clears throat> commenting how delicious they were well i think he started out commenting how good they were yeah there he is yeah they they were they were stuck for a they, you know uh yeah yeah we just had to switch over. We switched over to uh, Steve's Wi-Fi on his phone. Very yeah, good. Those things were delicious. Keep them away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's it is that kind of thing. It's I'm not like I'm not going to the bar. I'm not drinking anywhere near as much as I used to drink, right? But I am, you know, I'm just kind of keeping the pacing up. You know, I'm trying to keep just try to keep the liver in condition. So it's a good thing. The uh, so just some just some little comments from people that are uh, out there in the world. Uh, ben Big Ben is fantastic. Ben Big is one of our loyal listeners and just fan just feeds us information all the time. And he said uh, Yamaha has trademarked E zero one the E zero one nameplate for an upcoming e-scooter and if somebody wants to pull up the graphic uh an image of that um there's there, it's out there uh right up right apart ran the story and again this is one of those things where i applaud them for not just looking like every other fucking electric scooter um it's kind of neat looking it, it does just like I feel about the Cybertruck. If it's going to be an electric truck, make it look like the future. And this electric scooter looks like the future. Uh, I like it. I'm a fan. 
So um, I don't know if they're if the little thing on the front, if you flip the little thing up in the front to see the headlight, um, I feel like that's like one of those USB port covers. And if you want the headlight to come on, you just flip that thing out of the way. Well, most, most of the R1s have the headlights down in these little duck looking. That's what I'm guessing it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. But the seat, look at it. It looks like a sock or something. Like it's like a. It does look like it looks like somebody's happy sock was stretched over <laughs> the, uh, all the. Steve says it's odd. It's odd, but not in the way that he likes it to be odd. Right. But he's, he's not sure. I do think that it's hilarious that it, that it has uh, literally slick racing rubber on it right now, which is pretty funny. It looks like um, Chappie could ride it too. Like it looks like like you know something from like District Nine. It does, yeah. But I do, I do agree that, as far as I'm concerned, that looks like an electric scooter. What's yeah. the seating capacity on that thing? 14. <laughs> In Vietnam. Yeah. yeah. PC, brushless motor, lithium ion. <clears throat> well, look at that, that center section. I'm sure that's packed full of batteries. Yes, absolutely. But it's I a mean, fixed battery, though. That kind of sucks. Like, you can't just get a replacement or have another one laying around or something? Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. If you look at what Kimco's done, what Kimco's done with their mobile oh. batteries. Yeah, that, that, that looks good. looks like some of my wife's workout gear. It looks like they stole one of my wife's uh, merino wool yeah exercise talks everything like the the knee area is all fabricated i like that the, the absorbent channel sections that's i like that yeah I, i'll admit it oh yeah yeah that's not that's not awful that does look like the future right well, that's, that's the charging port phil in the front that, that looks oh, to yeah, like a standard, that's a standard 1772 j charger uh that's all that is so that's the charging port right in the nose so, so you, you put the electricity right in the beak dude this we, oh wow I the, oh i like the completely <laughs> unnecessary shark fin on the back yeah <laughs> i like it I, d- I think it's dope. Oh, there's the headlight. Look at that. Yeah, there's that light. Yeah. Yeah. It does look like the future. Whether or not I'm into it at this point. It's all chrome, too, huh? It'll look good in the back of a Cybertruck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, look, they have multiple colors, I think. I think you're right. Yeah. Let's get more. I want to see, I wanna see se- seven of nine on that. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. There's that. There's the whole... There's the whole deal. So that's cool. I, I appreciate that. That's, yeah, yeah, that was all right. Yeah, so that thanks to Ben Big for that, because that's really cool. He says uh, it does remind him a little too much of the Ego lawnmower, though. And I did look at a picture of the Ego lawnmower, and no shit, it looks a lot like an Ego lawnmower. Um, the same, like, color treatment and the same little, you know, the world has decided that if it's acid green color or that kind of a electric blue that's how we know that things run on electricity instead of running on gasoline uh so uh me here i'll show these guys well, that's that's eagle lawnmower. stretch yeah stretch hold on it's a different green yeah it's a slightly different green <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that Ego lawnmower definitely also looks like the future. So, <laughs> if you can take the battery out of your out of your Yamaha scooter and put it in your Ego lawnmower, game on. So that that looks like the future from five years ago, but the scooter looks like the future from now. It does. It, it absolutely does, and that's and that's what I'm. I mean, I'm digging all of that. So I'm. I think that's really really cool. The uh, it's it's just one of those things that I think we're that we're digging it. I mean, that's. That's neat. So, hey, bring it on, man. I'm, I'm there. The, uh, it's, it's a good thing. The, uh, 
nothing nothing really crazy that I want to get into, but now that Steve is here, our one of our podcast listeners has requested uh, John Carden. So John Carden, who's a Patreon supporter, yay, we love our Patreon supporters. Give us your money and we will give you better content, or at least the same content, but louder. Uh, we <laughs> the promise of better content. The promise of better content. Um, Actually, Patreon is what's going to make the Build-A-Bike Challenge happen. So that's proof that Patreon leads to shit. So John Carden asked us if we could cover sidecars. Um, I think that sidecars is an excellent topic, and we haven't beat the living shit out of it in a very long time. Who's throwing stuff down steps? <laughs> what is I think Garrett was throwing stuff downstairs. Oh, okay. All right. Is that what it sounded like? Maybe. Yeah, my, my wife's food prep gets really fucking violent. Um, <laughs> she doesn't eat anything that's not a vegetable or a powder. So she like just she sprinkles powder on vegetables and just consumes that, you know, broadcloth just goes after it. Um, it's it's epic. Shit's pure charcoal. It's amazing. The uh, super cool. So who here has owned an sidecar rig? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, there's kind of only two of us. Um, I've owned a bunch of them, and I've owned a bunch of stupid ones, meaning that they're scooters with sidecars, which are stupid. That's just dumb. That is the height of the stupid ladder is when you've taken an underpowered vehicle and added a very, very heavy thing to it. Uh, Steve, you've got the Ural, right? I had two. I had the 750 and the 650. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's sold the 750 because I just didn't like riding the 750 because it sounded like the transmission was a box of rocks and you were just shaking it the whole time. I couldn't stand the noise. So I actually like the six. The 650 is probably the same transmission, uh -huh. but a different Ruski put it together. So, I mean, uh, maybe they didn't put in any spacers or something. So the gears were like... You know, but <laughs> your first one—it was, was, was built in the wrong mountain. It yeah. wasn't built in the Urals. It was built on Friday at like four fifty-nine on on National Vodka Day or something. Like that. No, they, everybody had just gotten their ration of vodka for the week. <laughs> right, right. And a gallon, a gallon of vodka. I mean, I like the way the six fifty is awesome. I love that bike, but uh, it also came. You know, but it's and it's also a. Black and white, which I like two-tone color. I mean, I like the color, too. So I like everything about it, except the fact that when you hit 61 miles an hour, you, you feel like a noose went around your neck, and they're just getting ready to knock the chair out from underneath you. <laughs> okay, so I guess that's the first thing we should talk about with sidecar rigs is they're not fucking fast, right? So uh, you take any motorcycle that you like, and put a sidecar on it and not only are you adding up to 100 pounds of weight but you're adding all this drag so you're adding a ton of drag aerodynamic drag and actual mechanical drag and you're adding it all to the in our case here in the united states to the right side of the motorcycle it's definitely not a performance accessory oh fuck no no it's not and i don't care if you like uh what is it? The guys from uh, the Wheel Nerds, uh, the guys from the Wheel Nerds podcast, they've got a, um, I can't recall whether he had a, he didn't have a, maybe it was a Hayabusa with a sidecar. But um, anyway, 
big fucking bike, big fucking motor sidecar rig. And that's that kind of a thing where you're like, well, shit, now we've got enough motor to not have to think about the sidecar anymore. And that's about what it takes. That's, that's about how much you have to commit to it to get the sidecar rig to become invisible. So except it's not because you have to turn sooner or later. The guys on Twitch are agreeing with Steve. Um, what do you call it? Led Cubby said he also has a 750 year all and it's loud too. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that makes you wonder is just like, does the 750 transmission have teeth not where they're supposed to be? Like, are the teeth just running around the bottom of the motor, the bottom of the trans, uh, the transmission? Because it's got a a flywheel um, set up for a starter, which I mean, I don't know how that equates to the transmission, Mm -hmm. but the 650s, didn't have that they had um the i have the one year and probably the only one that's left because i took the the starter was malfunctioned on it but the starter ran off the cam gear and it was a starter uh like a a starter raider you know like um, it it started the bike on the cam gear but it also acted as the generator once it started wow so um they all exploded (laughs) <laughs> except for it's a 98 so they all exploded and then in 99 they came out with a starter and a ring gear but prior to that they were all kickstart 98 they had that that huge starter that grenaded the whole engine and then they went to a, a regular starter so so what you're saying I have, old, I have an old school 135 watt um alternator on it Look, man, if we were talking about a motorcycle from the 1930s, legitimately, if we were having a discussion right now about a motorcycle from the pre-war era, all of those things you just said would all hold true. In fact, a lot of European motorcycles I've worked on that were immediately post-war and old weird NSUs and old weird uh, Italian stuff. They love the starterator. They love that entire concept of like, look, it does two things. It starts the motorcycle, but it also charges the motorcycle. And the fact that Ural was still kicking that shit down the street in the 90s or the 80s, it's, it is one of those things that reminds you about what having a Ural motorcycle is. That's, that's the nature of it. Hey, Dan, how's that charging starter dynamo working on your uh, Yamaha CS5? Uh, last time I tested it, it was like uh, 1.5 volts it was putting out. <laughs> <laughs> you just need a butt boots transformer, you know, to boost that up to... <laughs> I mean, that is, I mean, think about that. That is the ultimate optimism. The ultimate optimism is if I throw electricity at it, it's going to crank a shit ton of torque that way. But if I take motive power from it, once the thing's running and there, you know, have a little cam there, um, have a little, you know, Bendix there, then once it's running the other way at a, a fixed RPM or what have you, then I can take electricity out of it. That is extremely optimistic that you think that we're going to give something an extremely high torque, getting the motor started demand situation. And then also a high RPM can, can, can uh, continuously putting out amperage and voltage that we can live on. That's, uh, that's uh, that's that does that. Yeah. And it actually works on that one though. 
<laughs> Probably because the Cub Cadet isn't asking for 1,250 watts of other shit, you know? Yeah, the, the Yamaha's low compression enough that it turns that motor over pretty easy. Yeah. With the Cub Cadet, you don't have turn signals. <laughs> well, the, uh, the Ruckus and the Metropolitan did a good job with the starter rater. They sure did. And, and it seems to me that if you mounted it in the right place, instead of mounting it on the weakest link of the engine and thinking it's going to be able to handle all that torque, if you mount it, if they mounted it like in a clutch house, like between like right behind the clutch, right. that would be a, probably a smart place to put a starter rater because you'd have a, uh, a wide diameter. You'd have a, you could have a lot of torque on that because it's a bigger motor. The motor would be bigger. You'd have you could have torque on it, and then it's it'll run at engine speed. Uh, it would make I'm sense. I'm absolutely convinced. But, but don't you immediately get at least a one you know a fifty percent reduction when you go to the cam because the cam's going to be running at half the speed of the engine. So, and I do believe that. that that on the uh, on the uh, starter hater, oh, really? Oh, uh, we really? got hijacked again. He had to bring back his, the picture of his own dick again. <laughs> this thing is really disgusting. Well, I hate it when people. I hate it when people take over our podcast. I mean, at least wash the thing off after you're done double donking yourself. Dude. <laughs> yeah, you have like Peroni's disease or something. That thing's really crooked. <laughs> Plus, it's got two heads. You're like a. Meat slicing accident. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, on the Metropolitan, on the Ruckus, it is true that when you take your, when you start it, when you hit the electric starter and the motor starts and you take your thumb off the starter, that actually, I think you're losing power. I think the starter rater is more powerful than the actual running motor. On that <laughs> There's no doubt. There are a few things in life less powerful than a Metropolitan. And it runs off the starter rater up to 15 miles an hour. Yes. Getting like getting away from a light, you should have the option of just putting your thumb on the starter button and having like six and a half percent or six well, on that bike. It'd be 65 percent more power. Hybrid. Like a momentary hybrid. I'm a fan. It's a good idea. I think we should do it. That's <laughs> just uh but so that I mean that's so back to sidecars as they are. The the one thing that I can tell folks about sidecars is do not think for a second if your skills are or if you're not in charge of shit or if you've got like diminishing abilities due to your age do not think that adding a sidecar to your existing motorcycle is going to make things safer because it one of the most miserable things that i worked on in the shop was that 1957 vespa with a sidecar on it so you're already dealing with a can of worms yeah as soon as you say 1957 vespa but now you're going to slap a sidecar on that, and it came in with an exploded clutch yep. and just all kinds of problems. It wouldn't charge the, the you know, like, uh, yep. you know, we got it working. It would run. You could technically start it and ride it and everything, but it was still just like, uh. It's miserable. I mean, it's miserable. just fucking miserable. And adding a sidecar to anything is a great way to remove the fun from it. <laughs> now, I mean, I can't say that. It, it doesn't actually remove the fun. It changes the fun and adds a lot of like worse. It adds a lot of bad things. But it changes the way you're having fun. It changes the way you're having fun. All right. It's like a, it's like putting a gag ball in your mouth and getting whipped. 
Some people like that. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> but I mean, that's fun to some people. I think, well, and I think too, there's also, when you go out on a sidecar, you're always going to get some looks and stuff like that. So it's fun. It's a spectacle no matter wherever you show up or whatever. And it there's probably some satisfaction in that. But are there any? You no, know, I saw on um, uh, one of the, a Facebook group, the Morgantown Cafe and European Bike Group. There's a, a sidecar specialist down in Marietta, um, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, so do people like? Are there sidecars where they're set up properly and they can actually tour on them and go like long distances without you know having issues and stuff? Absolutely. Uh, I've known a few guys in my time that have been sidecar professionals, guys that have big, large displacement motorcycles, BMWs, um, Goldwings that have got wonderfully set up sidecars and tons of torque and tons of power sitting around. Yeah. And guys tour on them. They cover huge distance and it is, it is absolutely practical. It works fine, but it is kind of like you sit back and you go, you could have done everything the exact same thing that you did with a Honda Civic. Like, you know, <laughs> you would have been able to carry more shit. You would have been able to have more friends with you, had air conditioning, you know, and not gotten miserable when it rained. But yeah, I've got a lot of friends that have put tons of money and tons of effort into sidecars. I mean, we're talking about sidecars with car tires on the front, the back and the side. It's a whole cult of motorcycles. It's a whole different team. Uh, years my ago, biggest, I went to San Francisco. First of all, you, there's asymmetry there. So you have just it doesn't matter what you do at 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 any given speed, you might have a one speed that it, everything works out okay. But uh, there's always an asymmetry. And the worst thing about a sidecar, regardless of what anybody said, well, I think the worst thing is emergency braking. Mm -hmm. Emergency braking is a motherfucker. I mean, I almost, last year I almost died. I, I was uh, going down 480 and some trucker in a, you know, like an 18 wheeler was parked at the side of the road and he pulled out right in front of me. Hmm. He was like, he was just, I don't know what he was doing, jacking off or whatever, but he pulls right out in front of me and I laid on the brakes. I mean, I laid on everything I had. I had to hit everything and I thought I was going to die because emergency emergency braking fell. It's, yeah. it's god awful and it scares the shit out of you no matter what you do. Yeah. And even if you've done a lot of work and you've really, really set your sidecar up perfectly and you have an outboard brake, because obviously a lot of the smaller sidecar rigs don't run with an outboard brake. You're just running on the factory brakes, which is stupid because you're running with all the additional weight, all the additional load. And when it does come to come time to stop in an American rig where the rig is on the right hand side, you know, crown of the road kind of thing. When you mash the brakes, your rig wants to turn left. Okay, because you can you can crush the brakes as hard as you want and you will be scared. You'll be terrified at how much that rig wants to go left of center. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and his son looped a sidecar rig and caused serious injuries for both of them because of that. Um, even if you have your outboard brake, your sidecar brake set up correctly or as you think is correctly, in a panic stop, you are no longer a motorcycle. You're no longer a front brake and a rear brake. You now have all of this mass 
outside of your center line of the vehicle. And that's almost impossible to get that outboard brake. You either have, you know, generally it's just not, if you set it up too much, it's just going to lock up that wheel and do be yeah. no good. You generally kind of just make it so it drags, you know what I mean? Like you're in, if it keeps you straight when you break, then that's kind of the best you can hope for, right? Right. That's then that is it. And I would much rather in a few of the cars I built, I would much rather have a drum brake out there, a drum brake which we can then fine tune with a cable adjuster as opposed to a juice brake. And the thing with the juice brake is it's very hard to get metering on the outboard brake. And the outboard brake is usually tied to your rear brake or your foot brake so that when you mash on the foot brake, it's pushing juice at your rear master cylinder, uh, at your slave cylinder, and your uh, sidecar rig slave cylinder. And it's very, very hard to do a proportioning valve on those to get them to function correctly. Now, different companies, Watsonian and a few other people that do a juice brake, um, do have metering valves that can be adjusted to determine how much pressure goes to your sidecar rig. I'm telling you, that is some pretty high fucking fruit on the tree there. Um, you have you got serious wallet if you're if those are your problems. Well, I, I adjust mine like the sidecar loose mm -hmm. so that when I'm braking like under like minimal braking conditions, it's just the front. It's just the motorcycle brakes that actually catch, and then the the sidecar brake is in the position to catch with a little more rear pressure or a little more rear brake pressure. Right. And then when you even if so, if you get into an emergency situation. You can mash down, but I mean, if you're not like, if you're not standing on the back brake, you're not going to lock that side one up. It's just going to break. Okay. But if you stand on it, then it'll, then it, that's when you have a problem. If you, you know, if it's uncontrolled or unanticipated and you, that's when it's really scary. The problem is it can never happen at the same rate because you're attaching that cable yeah. to the, the the pedal in most cases and there's a different rate there's a different hub on the bike than's out there and it's always at a different rate so no matter where it's it's there will be a sweet spot where if you push it in a certain place it works good but it, it's never going to be perfect well, not on the ural because everything's the same the front wheel brake and the rear wheel brake and the sidecar brake are exactly the same well that helps i guess so the weight of your the weight of your passengers always changes so it's really one of those things. It's like, okay, when that truck pulls out in front of me or when that kid chases the ball out in front of me, am I going to have an empty sidecar? Am I going to have a 150 pound passenger? Or am I going to have a 250 pound passenger? And it's all going to make a tremendous difference in what happens. So when emergencies happen in a standard motorcycle, that you're going to get a predictable result when emergencies happen in a sidecar rig shit gets weird super quick so you got to chill the fuck out when you're riding a sidecar rig hey this is for smith uh cincy dave on twitch sent over a thing and said make sure you check out the flying dutchman and the flying dutchman is a movie about they they stuck a sidecar on a janus yep and tried to go across the country but i guess it didn't go that well <laughs> wow he said they bought a Honda a little bit afterwards and just strapped it on that. <laughs> I would rather have a sidecar on a CB175 than than on a Ural, than on anything. I, I, give me the smallest Honda, and I know it's not going to die on me. Whereas with Urals and stuff, I mean, I've heard of stories of dropping a valve halfway to Labrador and stuff like that. Don't rip on my bike. I love your bike. Almost as much as I love you, but 
It has weaknesses. My, I have the thing down. It'll one kick start. John, how's your how's your Africa twin? Did you guys ever sort that out? Or, uh, oh, my, my Africa twin's good. I just started it up yesterday. <laughs> Made sure it was running good and everything. <laughs> so back onto the sidecar thing. The reason that Steve has that sidecar is I am so phobic when it comes to your Rawls um, or Urals. Um, I mean, not joking around. If a, if a Ural ever comes into my sphere of influence or into my gravity, I get that fucking thing out. I I repel herpetitis. Herpetitis. Oh, yeah, fucking get rid of that thing. You've so as soon as, as soon as that bike came into my shop, I have been I've been burned by so many Urals, um, and it's perfect. It's the perfect bike for Steve because Steve is an in you know an inveterate troubleshooter and problem solver uh he's he's just it's insane what he's willing to do to get into it that motorcycle had a car battery in the sidecar and 760 feet of white extension cord wire was all the wiring in the bike cut out the voltage regulator they cut out the alternator they did everything there's nothing left of the wiring system it was junk. I mean, that thing was a disaster. And when it showed up at my shop and we took a quick look at it, the best thing I could do was just be like, Steve, would you like a Ural? And it was one of those things like, here's the bike. You can pay me whenever. That's less important. The most important thing was getting the bike out of my shop. <laughs> and the space. I mean, the space of a, si- a bike and a sidecar. It's like having a small car in your garage. Yeah, it's wider than a lot of these small fucking cars. asshole nut jobs that have these sidecars are fucking. They're just out of their fucking minds. Yeah. Well, you need a lot of space and work to keep it. <laughs> I hear about that every day. So this year, this year I have ended up with two, not one, but two Stella sidecar rigs. Now this is my own fault because I sold them back in 2002, three, four or five and six. So it's my fault. I put them on earth. I put them together. I released them into the wild. And as you do, the people who bought them move on, right? They, they wise up or whatever, or they trade them in for a hover round. The, uh, the long and short of it is now I have two of them. And like the one has 1,800 miles on it. The other one I think has uh, 2,600 miles on it. So they're both back and they're both going through reconditioning right now so that they can be foisted back onto the general public again so somebody else can have fun with them. I know the only sidecar I have any attachment to is Barney. That one, that that's one that I kind of built and yeah. it was a cool one and it's got a lot of that's a family member. And Barney Barney was a purple sidecar that we did with the help of the folks at um, Dayglow. Hello. Yeah, and Dayglow had come up with a special kind of paint, a flip flop paint, and they had spent an absurd amount of money painting this bike to do the show circuit, and then uh, John and I and we 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 went crazy building that bike. I mean, we, it started out. I mean started out as a scooter we had to build it you know tear the scooter down to nothing you know send it out get it painted and then all taking all the trim work off and having to put it all back on and everything like that it was pretty involved but and it we was rewarding because it was cool when we yeah, was done we overbuilt the living hell out of that bike i mean that that bike ended up with, it started like with 150 cc's it ended up with 200 cc's it ended up with everything bigger everything stronger we made the clutch stronger. We made the transmission stronger. Like everything on that bike was built up and it would run 
on the freeway with a passenger in it at over 60 miles an hour, which is a hell of a shake for when you think of Espo with a sidecar. What happened and, to it? Yeah, it was a real, real sporty, real happy sidecar rig. So, so it's still out there in the world. Do we know where it is? It is still out there in the world, and we do know where it is. But unfortunately, the owner who owns it loves it and has no no inclination of selling it whatsoever. <laughs> so it's good. good. I'm glad it's being used. What I'd like, I mean, not that it, not that it's uh, the sidecar is bad, but I'd like to get a, another Ural with a solo. Yeah. I mean, just to see what it's like to ride. So, I mean, I could take my sidecar off. I don't really want to because it's set up so well now that yeah. it doesn't pull. I mean, it's perfect on the road. I have it set up, and I'm afraid that if I took it apart, that I would have like one, I would have the uh, a bar adjusted like one thread too much in or something, and I'd have to fuck around with it for like 10 years to get it back to the way it is right now. So, And that's kind of the big problem with the sidecar is you can't just be like, you know what? Boom, I'm going to throw the sidecar in because I want to have the sidecar in. And then like, oh, but tomorrow I'm going riding with my buddies. I want to go solo. There's no easy transition from solo to sidecar. And everyone thinks there is. Everybody is convinced that you can buy a sidecar rig for your motorcycle and pull one quick disconnect pin and the sidecar will come off and you can proceed gaily forward with your two-wheeled motorcycle and have fun and enjoy life. And then later on, two weeks, when you want to take the kids to the you know, parade or whatever, you can slide up and put one pin in and go back out and enjoy your bike with the sidecar rig. I have built bikes for people that were to that standard. I've built people that were like, it has to be quick disconnect. And what I can tell you is I learned a lesson. There is no such thing as quick disconnect. If you're going to build it so that it is relatively quick disconnect, like build it. The way I built it was everything looked like a class two trailer hitch. So everything was like a class two trailer hitch. There's quick pins that went in. It is just the sloppiest, shittiest everywhere. Nothing's good. Ah, jankety as hell. I mean, every time we built a sidecar, it was like at least an hour of two. Of, okay, now you've bolted it all together. This is your rough thing. Now take it for a ride and see how it is. Oh, well, that's all right. You know, it's leaning too far out. You got to get the right, you know, getting the right toe in, getting the right everything set up on it was, you know, five or six times going over and unloosening everything, moving it a little bit more, tightening everything down rock tight because, you know, you got the old guy who had that one end field and no matter how tight and how good it was when it left, he'd bring it back the next week and it was all fucked up. Like, what the yeah. hell are you doing to this thing? I was convinced he was making his own adjustments in the field and didn't torque anything down. And there are many books about uh, sidecar riding and sidecar building. Uh, there's one book that jumps to mind, uh, Proficient, I think it's Proficient Motorcycle Sidecars or Sidecars. It's, you know, the, the Sidecars by George book. Um, that's critical at our shop. If you buy a sidecar rig from us, we're going to build that into the price of the sidecar. Um, you will have that book. It is essential to learn how to operate the sidecar and more importantly, how to set the sidecar up. Because by the way, that was another guy who wore shorts all year long. All year long. <laughs> so, so say you're not dissuaded by everything we just yeah. said. Yeah. Uh, what would be the best entry-level way to get into sidecars? I would recommend going big. I would recommend going big because actually in sidecars, bigger is cheaper. Go figure. It is harder to find a cool little... California friendship, 
our friendship two small sidecar with a 400 or 500 cc parallel twin hook to it it is harder to find that than it is to find a 1976 Goldwing with a big fucking honking heavy sidecar on it i got nick set up right here check it yeah. out there you go oh there you go oh yeah yeah that's all you need complete with gamer chair <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah there um <laughs> That when it when it just comes right down to what I'm gonna want to have uh, to learn and to kind of understand sidecars, it's better to go big and heavy. So uh, big and heavy is gonna be your friend every single time. You get a small bike like a CM400. I know there's one right now on Facebook Marketplace for like 3,500 bucks. You get a CM400 Honda, and then you get the little small sidecar to go with it. The bike is not really in charge of things. The sidecar is too much authority, and you're going to have a hell of a time controlling it. So going with a bigger bike um, where the ratio of the weight to the motorcycle and the the rider is higher than that of the sidecar and the monkey, um, the, the one thing you never want is you don't want your sidecar and your monkey to weigh almost as much as the bike and the operator does that's a problem so yeah we, we definitely want to make sure that if you're going to start start with that um it's really really easy to buy a sidecar rig it's really really hard to get to be proficient with it and then once you are proficient with it it's really really hard to sell it because the type of people who try to buy sidecar rigs are extraordinarily like you think these guys are all like ancient masons they are chiseling you harder than you've ever been chiseled before and they know you want to get rid of the fucking thing otherwise you wouldn't have it listed like hey, you want to sell your sidecar <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah so if you're into the idea of having a sidecar don't start small learning how to ride a sidecar small sidecar is very difficult like a sidecar in a vespa is extremely tough it's it's really a hard time so you'd say the bigger the bike the less it the less it cares about having a big a sidecar That's there right. do you i don't know if you guys remember years ago we did a photo shoot and i was trying to train dustin how to ride my royal enfield with the sidecar and after about an hour in a parking lot, Dustin just couldn't grasp it. Like the, like you think Dustin, who's a really, really excellent motorcycle rider, a fantastic motorcycle rider. You put the sidecar there and it just fucked him all up. Like he couldn't do it. And because when you go, the bike wants to make a right hand turn because the sidecar is mass and the bike is taking off around the mass. And when you stop, the sidecar wants to keep going and therefore you turn left. So like accelerating into a left-hand turn is really, really hard to do. And braking into a right-hand turn is really, really hard to do in a sidecar rig. So we always like to say, you slow left and you go right. So if you wanna make a right-hand turn, give it the gas and let the bike do the work and the sidecar's drag will make the right-hand turn really easy. If you wanna make a left-hand turn, it's better to build up a little speed first, then jam on the brakes, okay, jelly on the brakes a little bit and let the sidecar hook around and that'll help you make the left-hand turn. I, I love, sorry. That Go ahead, is, Steve. No, I love riding. I love riding a uh, sidecar rig. Me and too. The reason I do, I mean, it, it gives you actually a good workout. You need a lot of upper body strength mm -hmm. to, to ride one because you're always fighting the front end. I mean, you're fighting to keep it like perfect. And, uh, if you ride it all day, I at the end of the day, I feel like I didn't have to go to the gym because I 
I rode the Ural. So, I mean, I always felt like it was like you should, uh, if you're turning left, you you can you can hold you can push with your right hand you can keep your you have to take your left your left hand up if you're going right you have to take your right hand off so you leave off the throttle <laughs> and that's exactly right sometimes it's like you might as well just grab it like with one hand and you, and, and ride it like a chiller it's like well yeah, but you could use a differential you could use differential braking to break to turn and you yeah. could use the throttle to turn too so if you want to turn more sharply you use the throttle or you use the brake to go whatever way you want to go and and I don't think it's 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 kind of a the passenger in it's way easier. Yeah. And so I left the that ninety two pound battery in the trunk of it because it makes it easier to ride. It's I will say that I never had the the, the the opportunity to ride with somebody in the sidecar. Oh, every time I got to ride one, it was just me and trying to fly the sidecar in the in the parking lot and stuff like that. It probably would have been a lot nicer to have some balance. Sleepy, can you look up El Caucho, like E-L-C-O-U-C-H-O, El Caucho. Um, El Caucho is our friend Alex Tassi, who is a genius. Um, I would like to say he's an evil genius, except he's on our side. So that's great. He's a super scientist, and we love Alex. He is a man with a plan and a van. And you cannot ask for much more than a man with a plan and a van. And Alex builds the coolest shit in the world. And El Caucho has been turned into a mobile fireworks display. El Caucho has been turned into an Amish buggy complete with animatronic horse that shot like smoke out of its nose and shit. El Caucho is a Honda Elite 150 Deluxe that used to be the Herkimer Battle Scooter. And it got added a uh, leatherette love seat got built onto it in the form of an unusually wide sidecar rig. How do you spell it? It's not coming up. How, what, El Caucho sidecar, I guess. How do you spell or, Caucho again? L-E-L Caucho, C-O-U-C-H-O. Okay. Uh, so Alex built this thing, and when he shows up, like he has it all designed, and it's all designed to be knocked down. After you see what Alex can do for a three-day weekend with El Caucho, inviting all of the people, several hundred people to ride on El Cacho all weekend long. He'll sit on the couch and operate it with just one hand. You will buy every Honda Elite 150 you can buy because that thing is stock. There it is. There's El Cacho. So that is El Cacho. And El Cacho has been many things, but mostly it has been fun. And um, he has set, if you scroll down a little bit, you might see El Caucho and its fireworks display. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was designed to shoot flaming balls, which we had. A, we actually made a patch that says El Caucho shoots flaming balls that you can purchase. Um, Alex set those up. But El Caucho, that rig is Perfect. rock hard. I mean, that is NASA quality right there. And I'm convinced that if you wanted to go cross country on the TAT, uh, that El Caucho could do it because Alex is very careful. And even though it looks like it's all fun and games, it's actually been well thought out and well prepared. So El Caucho has so much leverage. It's very stable. It's incredibly stable, but he rips that thing around band camp, you know, at 45 miles an hour sliding sideways while he's sitting in the chair. So he's sitting on the couch operating it with one hand and never <laughs> loses control. 
Um, it is shocking, but it is a result of goddamn good engineering. And it's a solid twice as wide as it should be, easily. Oh, yeah. So very, very cool. And, you know, hats off to El Cocho, because that's what happens when a guy with a hell of a lot of good ideas gets together with a group of people that worship little tiny stupid motor vehicles, right? Um, so, yeah, El Cocho, Alex Tazzy, way to go. Rock on. Rock on forever. I had a boat trailer, and I hooked it onto my uh, C-70. Yeah. And I always pulled, I had to pull it from my friend's house back to my house. So I was riding along with the boat trailer attached to my C-70. <laughs> and all the people were like looking at me like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> What's the legality? Is there any legality to that? Like, if you have a licensed trailer and you have some way to hook up the lights, I mean, like, is there anything, right? I didn't have the lights on rules about everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's enough. I don't think there's a half a watt reserve on this, the passport. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, my, my, I thought I needed insurance for that that little motorcycle trailer, and the that no, whenever your your insurance is whatever the car or whatever you hook it to. Yeah. yeah. So That's you're insured as soon as you hook it to a car. Yeah. And like we've all like. Yeah. With sidecar rigs in general, the biggest thing with sidecar rigs is it tends to teeter on that fetishy kind of thing about the motorcycle world as a whole. Sidecar rigs are that game. You know, it's it, you know you're getting into something weird. It is fun. It's a challenge. It's an absolute challenge. I talk shit on sidecar rigs, but if somebody could find me the Kawasaki KLR650 sidecar rig that was built by Hayes Diversified Technologies to be an M60 machine gun mount for anti-aircraft applications on the side of the M1080 um, uh, military motorcycle that John and I have, that is the exact example of why a sidecar would be perfect. And that thing's got a hinge in it too, so the sidecar folds up for storage. So like when you're putting a bunch of these motorcycles in the aircraft, they don't take up as much room. And then when you get it out on the battlefield, you flop the sidecar down, push the pins in, and get your crazy buddy out there to, you know, get some, baby, get some. And that guy's just going to run that M60 while you're on the KLR650. That's a G.I. Joe fantasy world that will never actually ever be played out ever in combat. But we're all going to do it when we get drunk and we have too much property on our hands. If you, if you get the sidecar, I can hook you up with the guy and the property and the M60 oh, and everything, we will do that. <laughs> Again, all we got to do is get the sidecar, which it's probably way easier to just retro engineer the sidecar from pictures of the M60, you know, sidecar mount, you know, the M60. You can steer by firing the gun. What's that? You can steer by firing the gun. Oh, my God. You know, and like That's your brake. That's your outboard brake. Pop, 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 pop. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is not even screwed around. When you see the picture of it, um, it find it's it. hilarious. And you just immediately know that you're like, yep, I need to have that. There's just there's no doubt at that moment. You got to have it. Um, I don't know if Steve can conjure up that image, but it's. it's I, I, have a, I did find a sweet picture of Mecklefresh just rocking his KLR. Check this shit out. Look at this thing. Oh, here we go. Oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah that's pretty, pretty impressive, man. That's when I was down at the Clear Fork. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, there that that whole rig, like the military KLRs in general, um, it's just very. I mean, it's very cool to begin with, but it is 
the idea of taking that particular motorcycle and having a you know a, a M60 mounted to it is just insane. It's that that's just where that's where good ideas go to die. Uh, but yay, you know, more more power to us. That's almost yeah. as crazy as having a Vespa with an anti tank gun on it, bazooka on it. Yeah, the the old ACM the old ACMA uh, tat, you know, seventy uh, five millimeter recoilless rifle mounted to a Vespa. Um, that's probably every time somebody gets into Vespas and they realize that thing exists, then it's always just a, a matter of what the shit. And uh, a buddy of ours, Dave McCabe, built a replica one with a potato cannon. Uh, potato cannon in the middle in lieu of the actual um, 75 millimeter recoilless rifle so super fun yeah but yeah so that's that's all out there that's that exists in the world so you know those things can be had if you have unlimited budgets so you know, yeah so yay yay big fun one of the guys on twitch just was talking about how like you know we should uh, get get some of those things with paintball guns then yes. think about that. One twenty-five at Steve's compound. You're, you have to have a partner on the the sidecar with a paper gun. That's brilliant. I mean, that's fantastic. And again, there will be collateral damage, no doubt about it. Yeah, <laughs> that, there is there is no doubt that you're going to have collateral damage on that. Uh, I'm trying to find that picture just because. I it, think we need two SR one twenty-fives mounted together like this. So one guy rides this way, and then the other guy rides this way. Or you both go like this and just go oh, around the Zero-turn motorcycle. Unless <laughs> you get a merry-go-round and mount it on the exterior side of the merry-go-round. And <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever see the video when they put the motorcycles or scooters on their side and they, they kick it onto the merry-go-round? And Yeah. Yeah, and they just propel some little kid from London at 9,000 RPM <laughs> off of that thing. Yeah. And you know it's a stolen moped. You know it's a stolen scooter anyway. So, yeah. So there's no doubt about that. Because it'll survive. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, back to uh, back to our podcast at hand. Uh, we do want to talk about the biker build-off. Or the, the... Can I say one more thing to yes, go ahead. the sidecar? I would not discourage anybody from having one. Because I, I mean, I love it, but I would just say think before you leap. Yeah, and maybe watch some videos on it, and watch like the videos of like the fails, the sidecar fails, and then <laughs> and if you could live with that, then yeah. go for it. Well, yeah, one of the things true. that happened used to happen at the shop is people would want a sidecar because they weren't experienced riders, and they thought that it would be easier. To manage a, a you know something with three wheels, and it's exactly the opposite. It is absolutely the opposite. Right. Um, yes, people will flip them. You bet your ass they'll flip them. Uh, it's a very very easy thing to flip in a uh, in a right hand turn. Uh, extremely easy, and in fact, it's shocking to people how easily the sidecar goes up in the air, even with a passenger in it. And any bike can do it, even a Vespa with minimal horsepower. Um, yeah, you can eat shit real fast in a sidecar rig. And once it starts getting away from you, it is almost impossible to get back. I mean, it's it's really the kind of a thing that. And there's no and there's no light duty. There's no like it's a minimal injury. It's it's you know oh it's not going to be that bad. No, it's really really bad because your head gets catapulted into the deck every single time. Um, 
when a sidecar goes out of control, it gets super ugly, super fast. So you have to actually jump into this. If you're riding the bike, you have to dive into the sidecar to save yeah. yourself. And I've had to do it a bunch of times. I've had to put myself in a position where um, I knew that it was either going to, I was going to save it or I wasn't. Um, I have gone over the handlebars in a sidecar crash. In a parade? Um, in a parade, yeah. <laughs> uh, ended up getting road rash on my shoulder and, you know, jumped up in the air and pretended like it was no big deal uh, <laughs> afterwards. But, I mean, it, it, it cost me because I was doing tricks and I hit a, a greasy manhole cover. And, you know, the, the sidecar shenanigans bit me in the ass. So, manhole covers. Steve. So, so you know, like, like if you're riding a regular bike and you kind of start having a tank slap or you let go of the handlebars a little bit, it'll straighten out. On a sidecar, do you do that or does it start to oh, fall well, over? Let go of the handlebars and you might as well put a gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. In a sidecar, you are basically in a constant tank slapper. I mean, yeah. some, of those, some of them, they're just constantly going like this, depending. <laughs> the only way is to go the right speed to where it kind of, you know, settles down. That's an excellent point, you guys. Thank you. I mean, you're right. So tank slapper. So a sidecar is permanently fucked up. Okay. So the motorcycle wants to go straight, but the sidecar wheel is permanently creating drag. So the front end on a motorcycle is always trying to correct. And that's what it looks like when you get a tank slapper. When you get a tank slapper, that means something's not right in the bike and the handlebars are literally trying to correct, overcorrecting, and then trying to go the other way. And a motorcycle is essentially self-correcting. And this is what's crazy is when you see the tank slapper, the tank slapper is the bike going offline and then trying to put itself back online, but then overcompensating for it. And that's a tank slapper. And then you're in the middle trying to make all that shit make sense. Well, with the sidecar rig, you are 100% of the time putting pressure left or pressure right. You are never free flying. If you're free flying, you're fucked. If you even wave at somebody, you could go into the mother of all tank slappers, depending on how the bike is set up. Keep in mind, there is no perfect setup for a sidecar because the crown of the road changes based on what kind of a road you're on. So if you're on my little, you know, little side street, whatever, the road might be severely crowned to get the snow and mud and everything to run into the gutters. You get out onto a four lane interstate, the road isn't going to be crowned very much. And that, what do you set your sidecar up for? Do you set it up for a little bit of a crown? Do you set it up for a lot of crown? When you get into a perfectly flat parking lot, there's no crown whatsoever. So the bike is going to be offline. You are the critical element. You are the steering dampener. Yes, you are going to be a full upper body workout every single second you're riding it. Yeah, yeah the wheelbase on a sidecar is always narrower than a car or a truck. Yeah. So you, you, you can be in one lane or the other lane, but you can never be just riding in the same, yeah. you know, ruts as a car. No, so to so you're kind of always going like that. You're like always correct. And so, you know, you'll learn, you'll, when, the more you ride, the more you'll learn, you just keep a little amount of pressure, just a tiny amount of pressure on the left bar or the right bar. And you'll just keep a little bit of pressure there and you'll be fine. And you will learn that your brakes are as important to turning the bike and your throttle is as important to turning the bike as the handlebars are. So working your inertia will help you turn a sidecar more than the fucking handlebars are. And everybody will say the same thing. Well, you got to get a steering dampener. Bullshit. 
you're full of shit, okay? Yes, you think you will need to get a steering dampener if you're stupid. The steering dampener is just a shock absorber that, in, that impedes the ability of the handlebars to move. Everyone thinks that a steering dampener will stop a head shake or stop a tank slapper. It will minimize it, but it won't fucking stop it. I have seen tank slappers happen through Scott's million-dollar steering dampeners on sport bikes. I've seen it happen. I've been there when it happened. Yeah, that's it. I broke my collarbone that way. So that's it. it. I'm telling you. As you, you can also dampener on you want. It, uh, steering damper adjusted incorrectly inhibits self-correction. Absolutely. So why, would you want, why would you want one? I mean... And every time I've ridden, when I set a sidecar rig up for myself personally, the sidecar is generally very loose. It's generally very loose because I like to change direction, full lock, lock left to lock right very quickly. And if I want to change direction, lock left to lock right very quickly, a steering dampener on there isn't helping me do that. So what it's doing is it's slowing down my ability to make a correction. And that could be the worst thing for me when I'm trying to do a lock left turn and then throw it to a lock right, throw my weight down and change the attitude of the sidecar rig instantly. So the steering dampener is not going to make you into a better rider. The steering dampener is going to turn your sidecar rig into a more sluggish performing vehicle. And they're all the same. Slug. Yeah. You look in everybody. Look, don't spend $300 in a steering dampener. Go get a Volkswagen shock absorber that's literally off of a Volkswagen Beetle that's from the steering assembly of a Volkswagen Beetle. Tack, tack, weld, weld, put it on, and that is every steering dampener that anybody's going to sell you. It's the same thing. Now you just saved $300. And it'll work the same way. And it'll make the bike feel a little more predictable or less violent. It's better to train yourself and be a better rider. You're still never going to want to take your hand off the bars while you're riding it. Whoa. I've had every kind of steering dampener in the world on every kind of a customer's bike. You know, beautiful big BMW rigs with tons of money spent on everything. You take your hands off the bars for like a nanosecond and it's already starting to do this. So on on the topic of uh, steering dampers, uh, I just like uh, I was playing with, you know, the Superhawk has that little twist steering damper. And I was playing with that a little bit. And uh, because I noticed that as I was riding on the Superhawk, if I take my hands off the bars, it starts to do this violent shake. Yep. So I said, okay, I'll try twisting the steering damper up a little bit. And all that does is it makes it so that I can never get it right in the middle. I'm either like slightly turning this way, then slightly, you know, correct, go this way, correct, go this way, because there's like stiction. Yeah, it's stiction, and it's the same as having a, a flat uh, headset bearing. So it's the same as having like one flat bearing. So you're like, okay, the, oh, I'm great straight. No, I'm not. I'm always left or I'm always right, but I'm never perfectly straight. And it's the exact same way with some steering dampeners too. My setting on that dampener, Nick, is all the way off and then just crank it till you can almost feel it. And that's about yeah. all you want. Like maybe just a little bit. And most of the ones I bought, they were gone anyways. <laughs> it's a, if it's missing, that saves you a lot of confusion. Yeah, right. my my super hawk has never done that so you probably have a problem <laughs> <laughs> so did it, does everybody now possess a set of the rules for the uh build a bike challenge i haven't looked at it because i'm talking to you all on my phone so i can't look at it on my phone 
No problem. My only thing that my only comment is I thought there weren't going to be any rules, and I had all kinds of strategies for how I was going to fuck everybody up and everything. <laughs> yep. Now we've we got a published set of rules. Yep. You got to stay in your own ten by ten. We thought about this, and uh, the more that we discussed it. Um, by people who are right here with us. Uh, the more that we discussed it, we realized that it was going to be hard enough to bring this thing in less than three hours, just doing it natural, right? So just doing it fair, it was going to be hard enough to bring this thing in at less than three hours. Uh, I mean, the bikes, you're going to put these bikes together in 10 or 15 minutes, right? Yeah, sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we could give you guys a practice bike with no stress whatsoever, and your second bike would still be over 40 minutes. So you've prepped at least 20, 30. How many of these have you prepped? I've done 25 of them. What was your best time? 27 minutes. That's good. Yeah. So 27 minutes is my best time having done 25 of them. Now, do, when they QC them before you get them, do they actually change out the shipping oil and put uh, actual motor oil in them and stuff? Or do we have to do all the fluids and everything too, or what? Yeah. No, you guys, you guys, I'm not going to have you guys fucking with oil at all, right? Um, you guys are literally doing the very first, the very first shots fired in anger, right? Um, you're not going to have to touch any oils whatsoever unless you fuck up and get the oil to come out of the bike. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you're not going to, yeah. Now, if you fuck up and make the bike inverted and the oil comes out the handlebars, then you're going to be required to put the oil back in, you know? Um, Scoop it up with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> Everything in my shop is at your disposal. Uh, but the reason we've had to do rules was just that, like, if somebody did want to be, you know, there's the, always the don't be an asshole rule, right? That's that's the, prim the primary rule of anything, any event for us. I've never heard of that rule. <laughs> yeah. But if you did, I mean, if you wanted to, if you want to sabotage somebody, I'm going to introduce you guys to the floor marshal. So the floor marshal um, for this event is Chris Smith. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hoffer, you're fucked. <laughs> Don't even bother showing up. Bring me my whiskey, bitch. <laughs> so Chris Smith is the floor marshal. And so all those things I've said about your genus, <laughs> I, I'm very sorry. I take them back. Now your Janus is on the line. Chris has got a small axe to grind and a large bottle of Malort. Is he going to be able to like force people to drink? No. No, but your but your uh, your clock just stops right there. <laughs> um, really, what this comes down to is it's you versus Father Time, right? So the the biggest thing you got to worry about is your clock, right? Is your time going forward? And so we've got we've got a person who's the official timekeeper. Um, so that person's going to be keeping track of everybody's time, and of course, Chris is going to be there to do two things. Chris is going to be the most important person in the room because he is going to be the person that helps you when you need an extra set of hands. Um, to keep things fair, the extra set of hands in the room is Chris. Okay. And look at these big soft hands. <laughs> no matter. Hold on while you have them there. Uh, 
Well, that is that is an important part of what's going on. Is that remember that Chris is the official tool handler. So <laughs> all the hand like any tools that will be handled during this bu- this build off will be handled by Chris. Um, he will sterilize all the tools, and he will distribute the tools to the tools, and he'll be sterilizing the tools when they come back. I've um, heard you can sterilize a tool pretty well. Exactly. So. <laughs> I, can, I have my ways. My tool's been sterilized for years. Uh, the, but that's the, that's a big deal. Is that Chris's part in this is going to be as a, a floor official, very much like a hockey game. Uh, he's going to be there in the pit with you guys, and if you need something, what I've done is I've set up two tool carts. So I've set up two tool carts that are um, pretty much identical. And they have every tool you would ever need to build one of these bikes. I've gone through it and I made sure that they're all there. I am strongly recommending that you bring your own tools that you know and love. And there's no limit to the amount of tools you can bring. That's great. That's absolutely fantastic. And although I will have every tool that you will need to build these bikes, keep in mind there are only two sets of house tools. And that means if somebody else is using that house tool, you're not, right? And it's up to Chris to make sure those tools get distributed. Chris is not going to leave your side until you're done with a tool and you hand it back to him. And he's not going to give you another tool until you give, you, give the, full, the first tool back. So How, How's Chris going to handle two different tool carts at the same time? Because I'm handling one of them. Oh, okay. So you've got to be proper fucked in order to need me to bring you a tool. So things are going to have to be properly fucking sideways and it will slow everybody down. If I have to get involved and deliver a tool, what's the penalty for having to ask Phil for a tool? It's (laughs) one shot, two shots, three shots. How many shots? It's a, so Chris is going to be the official decanter. So, yeah, the Malort Fairy. He's going to be the Malort Fairy, oh, and uh, he'll be he'll be roaming around handing out penalties as he sees fit. <laughs> now it's up to Chris whether you get a Malort penalty or whether you get a time penalty, right? And so he'll be the judge. And once again, he's the judge. If he says it, it's fucking concrete. I didn't. I didn't see anything in the rules about um, bribing the judge or paying the judge off. Is that is that something we can do? You've seen absolutely. You bring cash. <laughs> these rules, right? Yeah. These rules are well reasoned and insightful. And if something is not in those rules, there must be a reason for that. So, um, again, I've given you ten rules, right? Uh, there are 10 rules. Now, if you want to bribe the, if you want to bribe a judge, that's, that's entirely up to you. Those are your ethics. What, you would, it, what would it take to get a Stroh's penalty? <laughs> well, I, a, Stroh, a Stroh penalty that may come into play. I'm going to tell you, don't think we haven't thought about busting out those two bottles of Stroh we have sitting at the shop. <laughs> Cause nothing gets things fired up like lighter fluid, you know? Uh, so that'll that'll get the ball rolling any way you slice it. And Sin City Dave says, "How many glasses of bourbon will be at Phil at this point?" 
remember there's quite a bit of time put to the setup of this too it's it's not just you know this is high theater there's going to be a lot of stage hands gaffer tape and all kinds of shit going on so <laughs> yeah there won't be this won't be just lightly thrown together so every builder rule number one each builder will work alone on the bike that they randomly selected we have a system for that the bikes are all identical aside from color john was asking yes there is a black one okay so there's a black one uh they are all factory sealed nothing has been pre-opened i think you've all seen the shop you've all if you haven't been there you you know you've seen these bikes are literally still stacked hermetically sealed um the way they left china there's nothing there's no trickery we're not doing anything to make life harder for you at all uh these uh we haven't added or taken away anything from the crates so you guys are all getting the same one we're going to have a challenge there on the opening gun we're going to have a special challenge to determine who gets what bike somebody's going to win the first challenge that person who wins the first challenge will get to pick their their bike they'll get to pick their bike their color um it's the only person that's going to get a pick everyone else is going to have to take what's left over right um it'll be totally random except for one person one person will get the ringer as we say the, the ability to pick their own bike Bring your own tools, we said. They gotta do that. We're gonna have two sets of tools provided, that's fine. Chris will be controlling the access to those tools, so no shenanigans. If you are caught giving him any shit, he's gonna give you a penalty. He'll either give you a liquor penalty or he'll give you a time penalty. It's up to him to dole out either one. Uh, you will not get another tool unless the first tool has been returned. So think about that. Uh, all tools will be sanitized, so don't worry about that. Each contestant will have access to the floor judge for five minutes. This is important. Do not slip or do not skip this over. In the build of this bike, there are times when it will be helpful to have two people. Trust me. Now, it's not a big deal. It's not like you'll need two people for the whole thing, but there there are a couple of points in the bike where you'll be happy to have an extra pair of hands, right? And it's up to you to use that very carefully or judiciously um, because Chris has been given the rule. He will only help each competitor for five minutes, one time, five minutes. And once you start your five minute clock, you've got him for five minutes. Think about that. And then he will call it when it's done. Go ahead, John. Can we make him do anything we want? Well, I mean, <laughs> you can ask. You can ask. <laughs> you can ask. That's exactly right. But there won't be any other helpers. So think about that strategically. I'm going to tell you that's an important part of this challenge. Is and also, also factor in my overall lack of skill. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point to brought it up. I'm uh, going to be counting on Chris to do most of the building in that five minutes. Can you, can you have Chris's assistance multiple times in the build or just once? One time. One time. Okay. Okay. Don't forget, you're going to have to tell him things like, hand me the plus screwdriver or the minus screwdriver. And, <laughs> oh, oh no, you're, I, getting, I was thinking, you're getting a penalty on that one there. <laughs> I, I was thinking, well, I could just ask for Chris's help so that he can't help anybody else. 
But you can only, and, and you're right. So, so and now what Nick has done is a, what, what they call in the world of swordsmanship, right? Fuck, <laughs> fuck. He's, he's revealed oh. a strategy. Yeah. If I would have had Nick's brain and I would have thought about that, I would have kept that to myself. So <clears throat> anyway, but again, it's your hat, fuck it how you want. All right, so that's a big deal. Um, each builder is gonna get a 10 by 10 square. So you're gonna get a 10 by 10 square, um, conveniently the size of an easy up, because if we've learned anything in AMA Vintage Days, we've learned that you can do anything under an easy up. With seven people. So everybody gets one easy up worth of space, because we're simulating real world conditions here. Um, anything outside of your work area can cost you a penalty, and I'm looking at Chris. Okay, so Chris will be there to make sure that you guys aren't busting out your work area and causing problems for other builders. The shop is big enough, you know, 4,000 square feet. Um, the work areas are not going to be next to each other. There's going to be plenty of social distancing. But that being said, if you're too sloppy, if your bike or your tools or your ass is hanging out of your 10 by 10 too much, Chris might find you for it. Right. So how do I feel like you're talking about me when you say my ass hanging out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see how we'll have to see how strict Chris is on that one. I'm going to um, have to hug that little bike. That's, that's exactly. <laughs> um, hey, Mac, Mac, tell me a Janus joke while you're at it. No, thank you. I love the Janus. It is one of the best motorcycles ever built. I like the people that ride them. They're awesome. Yeah, here we go. This is already paying Incredible off. Incredible bike. Incredible bike. <laughs> These rules are already paying off. Our podcast listeners will love the fact that we've just eliminated all the Janus jokes. <laughs> the, uh, okay, so the floor judge, absolutely. Floor judge can issue immediate penalties that may be uh, malort or adding time to your total build as the floor judge sees fit. Thank uh, you, sir. May I have another? Yes. Shenanigans. Like stealing parts or tools from other builders will not be tolerated. There will be fines. You bet your ass there will be fines. Why? Because we don't want anybody to have the cards stacked against them from the get-go. That's just not what we want. Um, impeding another builder in any way will be fall down upon with great vengeance and extreme wrath. Uh, the other builders will choose your fate. God have mercy on your soul. I'm not joking when I tell you that if you fuck your buddy... That's the one thing I can't stand as a buddy fucker. If you fuck your buddy, the other five guys are going to determine your fate. <laughs> Enough said, right? Uh, I'm just joking. You, you got to remember at the beginning, I was more than willing to team up with somebody. Again, we like, hey, I think a team build. I was talking with him. I'm like, we could do both bikes. If you yeah. stay on one side, we could get both bikes, bikes done faster than anybody could get one done. And we might oh, yeah. We thought, we thought about that strong. That was one of the things that we were like, we're not even going to put that in the rules and we're going to let them come up with that on their own. But it is such a huge force multiplier that it would give people an insane advantage. It would be impossible to catch them. And it's true. So we did want to make it an individual thing because these things are essentially like one-to-one -one Revel model kits. They're like Lego, essentially, with a couple of little nasty things thrown in um, by the factory, not by me. But so it's not, uh, it's not cheating to bring my clone, right? What's that? It's not cheating to bring my clone. Right, exactly. As long as he's indistinguishable, we're probably okay. Um, you know, pass that one mole on his ass, you're good. 
each builder must have their own Zoom equipped device that can run for an hour and a half or have a plug in or cord. Um, it must be able to run on our Wi-Fi, which is all just basic stuff. <clears throat> if you can't do it or you're concerned your device can't do it, talk to one of us and we'll, we'll sort you out. We've got enough um, extra leftover Wi-Fi, like uh, iPhones and shit hanging around that, you know, somebody's old last generation iPhone, if you don't have one, we can make it work. So uh, it'll all be done. And here's why we're going to have your device. Your device is going to be filming you. So your camera one is literally your device, just like it is tonight, but it might not be your laptop. And the reason for we want it to be a portable device is when it comes time for you to take that mighty monster that you've built and take it outside and put gas in it and fire it up and take it for a ride, we're going to have one of our team members take your device and follow you so that the camera won't just be looking into an empty work area. Because that would how be good, cool. how good is your Wi-Fi outside? Pretty fucking good. Good. Yeah, good enough that you can be in my parking lot, inside the parking lot. As long as you don't leave the parking lot, it's stable. And we just spent an extra hundred bucks to get us turned up. So um, commercial commercial Wi-Fi is more expensive than residential, and we're we spent an extra hundred dollars to give us a lot more bandwidth, and we tested it, so we're good. So we went outside and I was doing all kinds of crazy things with the Wi-Fi and it worked just fine. So, um, so anyway, so keep that in mind. The reason we want it to be a device is that one, one of our helpers, when you go outside to ride, one of our helpers is going to go out and follow you with your device so that your channel stays on you the whole time, making it more interesting for people watching. The uh, and you know if you have any questions about that, follow through. The uh, and then this goes to. Um, do, 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 do. We're going to go to talking about, uh, yes, we're all friends. No lawsuits are being a jerk. We all know there's risks involved. No shit. You know, it, bikes fall over. People get hurt. You're going to ride a bike outside. It could be snowy. You could fall down, whatever. Just don't be an ass. Um, that's Girl, it. Hold Phil harmless. Yes, exactly. Builders will supply their own PPE and eye protection if you feel like you need it. Um, when you're in the common use areas outside of your builder zone, we do ask that you have masks. Uh, you know, outdoors, we don't give a shit. You know, it's between you and Mother Nature. It's cold out. Uh, if you're not feeling well, if you have a fever, if you're sick, fuck it. You're not in. You're out. Um, do not get the rest of us sick when we're teetering on the edge of a vaccine because you want to be a fucking hero. Uh, just if you're sick, don't participate. That's fine. There will be other stupid shit. Um, we could probably find somebody to jump in and build your bike for you if that happens. We are going to make this very clear. I am the ultimate judge of the build. I spent quite a bit of time last week looking at these bikes in close detail and figuring out ways that I could find out if the bike was built very quickly by looking at it very quickly and determining whether or not it was built right. I've come up with a pretty fun little checklist for myself. Um, if you've done it right, I'm going to know. If you've done it wrong, I'm going to know. Um, that's a big deal. If you have fucked up, your race is not over. You will have a chance to fix your bike. Why not? That's fair. Um, the way you're going to do it is... Uh, you're going to get a chance to go back in and, and address the failed areas. So the shortcomings, the gigs, well, I'm going to provide you with a gig, let you know about it, 
and you'll be able to go back in the building and address your gig and fix your gig and bring the bike back out, do a test ride, and I'll check it again. Go ahead, John. Can I take your parts off of bikes in the shop if I put something up? <laughs> I think we said C rule number three about leaving your work area. What about this will be a penalty. There'll be a penalty for that. Chris will be watching. What the, about uh, if Steve and John are neck and neck? <laughs> and, and they're just about, and they both actually finish and kickstart, and their bikes fire up at the exact same time. What happens? Well, what happens is they're both both bikes. They're going to go outside. They're going to fire their bikes up. They're going to take their little short ass test ride. And they're going to come back, and they're going to say, "I'm done," and we're going to stop the clock on both of them. Right when they say they're done, we're going to stop the clock, and then I'm going to scrutinize the bikes. Okay. And then at that point, they might be done. They might not be done. Right. Or whoever has the cleanest bolts or what, you know, whatever they might be done or they might not be done. Gotcha. Right. right. So when they're, when they think they're done, they might not actually be done. So, you know, if they get sent back in, just remember though, that this is important. Um, all remedial work must be followed by an inspection and another test ride. I'm going to let that one hang out there for a second. Okay. Um, there will be a third party time manager who will keep track of everybody's time on six individual stopwatches. So you don't have to worry about the confusion of that. You will have your own stopwatch for your own build that Renee will be operating. And when it's time to stop the watch, she'll stop the watch. We are going to err on the side of you. So if there's any doubt whatsoever, we stop the watch. We stop the watch. If we have a question we need to sort out, we'll stop the watch. Any questions, any doubt about anything, we'll stop the watch. Um, and th that's just to be fair, so that everybody has their own time. Okay. When I pledge to build my bike to the standard to which I can build it, and that'll be the bike will be built and ready to ride yeah. on the farm. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, that I, have I have found six, six individual items that I will be looking for. These six individual items, three of them are actually critical and three of them are bullshit nuisance things, right? So three of them are absolutely life, life changing. changing deals. And then the <laughs> other three are just, you could have did it right, but you didn't. That's what it is. So it's real simple. It takes me like literally 30 seconds to see all the things I need to see. Super fun, super easy, not that challenging. But if you have to redo them, remember, it's gotta be test ridden again. So that's gonna slow you down. So build it right the first time, I'd recommend it. The, uh, and then the, uh, let's go into the next one. There's gonna be a group clock. So James has got one of those weightlifting clocks, like one of those exercise clocks, big clock. We're gonna put that big clock in the middle of the room just so it gives people a general idea of how long they've been or kind of what they're up against. So that's no big deal. Um, all bikes, and again, this is rule number 10. You do well to read it. All bikes will be totally completed, fueled, started, adjusted, idled, and inspected and taken for a very short off-road test ride before the timer is stopped. And that is, that means that every bike has to be to the point where it would be put into service um, in the hands of a welcoming customer um, before, the, before we're gonna, you know, call you done. Now, if I so see- You can start the bike and ride it on the shipping oil? Yep, absolutely, yep. Go ahead. Can you save your five minutes and like finish assembling the bike and be like, here you go, fucker, Chris, go ride this thing. 
No. <laughs> well, Who the hell's fucker, Chris? <laughs> if you don't look, if you don't use your five minutes with Chris, that's entirely up to you, right? <laughs> I know some people would be like, "No, I don't want Chris hanging around my area for five minutes. I think I can work faster without him." So maybe that's a, maybe that's a benefit to you. Maybe that's an advantage. But I can assure you that I've done a bunch of them, and I always call for a helper. Every single time I build one, I always call for a helper just for a minute or two to do the things that need to be done with a helper. And then I cut them back so they can do important things like earn me money. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not Earth keeping that off. Seven minutes with a helper. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. So that's really what it comes down to. Um, now, if you guys come up with anything that you'd like to add notes to this um, or any, you know, suggestions, because those are the 10 rules. That's it. Um, that's the best we could come up with to keep this from being a five hour challenge. Yeah. I mean, originally I wasn't even too like hardcore on competing, but then people start betting on you and then you feel like you have an obligation to live up to the challenge about betting. So the betting is going to be handled through Twitch. Um, as we all know with Twitch, you have the ability to purchase and uh, own Twitch bits, and you can spend those Twitch bits however the fuck you want. Um, that's up to the person who's viewing. That's up to the participants at that point. And we will have somebody monitoring our Twitch feed. And if you want to, if you were, you know, one of our podcast listeners or one of our Twitch viewers, and you're out there in the land, and you're like, "Fuck this, Nick is Nick is my guy." I'm gonna put ten bucks on Nick. I'm putting so ten gonna, bucks on Nick. They're going to donate 10 bucks. Not smart. Not Wait smart. a second. Oh, gonna, I got an idea. <laughs> they're going to donate 10 bucks to Nick and they'll donate $10 to Nick. And then we'll keep track of that. And so this is going to play out. And uh, our, our people that are watching will want to participate and stuff like that. Because what those are, those are donations. Those are donations. That's them giving money to us. That's them saying, hey, we like what you're doing and we want you to do it better. But... Once it's all said and done, let's just say for the sake of argument that Sleepy had 50 bucks donated to him and Nick had 80 bucks donated to him. Uh, at the end of it all, if Sleepy wins, well, there's going to be a whole pie. There's going to be some Nick money and there's going to be some John money and some Steve money and some Oscar money. There's going to be a whole pile. And that whole pile is going to get divided. <laughs> so half of that pile is going to go to Sleepy, if Sleepy won. Huh? Sleepy's going to get half of that pile. Sweet. And he can do with it what he pleases. If he wants to donate it to his favorite charity, rock on. But the other half of the pile is going to go to all of those fine fellas and ladies that bet on Sleepy. Oh. So if somebody said, I'm going to bet five freedom units on sleepy and another guy said he's going to buy bid, bid 20 freedom units on sleepy then when sleepy's take comes out each one of them is going to get a little bit of a refund now their refund may be five or six or seven or eight times more than their investment that will all depend on which where the action goes and that's the little thing i like to call keeping it interesting or we could also just be cool and say, I don't want mine. We can just divide it all up between the, the guys and be super. Do that too. It could go into the whiskey fund. Yeah. Absolutely. 
There's no, there, we're not putting any rules or expectations on this. I don't want anybody to be like, well, but you didn't give the money to the firefighters fund for burned cats. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> what we're doing is we're giving people the opportunity to say, look, I want to have some skin in the game. I'm having fun with this. My money's on Dan Kromke and literally my money's going to be on Dan Kromke. And if you want to put some money on Dan Kromke and Dan Kromke wins, you might see a big portion of what you bet come back or seven times more or eight times more. Anybody who's familiar with the books will understand the way this works. Yeah, ads. Basically, it'll it'll be self, the ads will be self-made. That's exactly right. The house takes no share. The person who's the interested party has some certain motivation to win now. Because in some of the little tests that we did, we saw in the neighborhood of $500 to $1,000 worth of action. Hmm. And if you've got $500 to $1,000 worth of action, and somebody like Nick says, well, I could put $500 in my own pocket, and then $500 goes back out to the people who bet on me based on their bet, that could be very interesting very quick. So if I win, I would like to put my money towards a Cleveland Moto inflatable hot tub. <laughs> I, I think those are self-bubbling, aren't they? If, if I win, I'm going to talk to you about that fireman's thing for burn cats because there ain't nothing I like better than a bunch of bald pussies running around. <laughs> Bingo. So if anybody has any other ideas, that's the way we're going to work the... Uh, that's the way we're going to work the donations on the Twitch side of it. And then, uh, you know, as far as what will be being sh- pushed out to the Twitch and, you know, actually through the Zoom first and then the Twitch will be the six cameras of the six participants. And then uh, we were going to make we were going to make Chris wear a body camera <laughs> just to keep it honest. But we really were like, I think there's going to be a lot of time when Chris is going to be like bent over a bike and stuff and the video will be shitty. Yeah. So we've appointed a cameraman to Chris. So Chris will have his own cameraman and then I'll have my own cameraman for me. And so that'll be eight channels. So we'll have. I'll also give you one of these. This is a handheld. You can pop it off and on, hold it, and you can come around and film whatever. It's got a wow. nice mic on it. So we got, yeah, we'll, we'll have plenty of cameras, dude. Please exactly. tell me that Chris Smith's camera man will actually be Mrs. Smith. <laughs> well i think that i think we've we've chosen one of our uh one of our friends uh wayne robertson if anybody knows wayne uh the inventor of the wayne killer uh or the recipient of the wayne killer i think wayne is going to be chris's uh body man i think chris is going to have uh, wayne as a cameraman because again that's kind of giving chris his own enforcer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you give Chris a little bit of shit, then I think Wayne's going to be right there for you. (laughs) (laughs) And we've all dealt with Wayne. (laughs) Yes. So nobody's going to be giving Chris any shit. (laughs) So if Chris... More than once. If Chris Chris gives you a drink penalty, I think you're going to take the drink penalty. (laughs) Thank you, sir. May I have another? That's exactly right. (laughs) I would gladly take the drink penalty than argue about it with Wayne. So that's going to be beautiful. And and speaking of drink penalties. Yes. Once you get your shot, you are not allowed to proceed until you've finished said shot. I agree. Yeah. I think that's a critical element of it. Um, And that's. Will there be a puke bucket? (laughs) 
called your t-shirt. <laughs> what is the penalty for puking in the on the floor? I don't think we should have a penalty for puking um, in general. That's more of a penalty in and of itself. Your penalty for puking is more malort. <laughs> Can you imagine to scoop it up with your hands and put it in your crankcase? Uh, if that happens, that's going to be a chain reaction. It's going to be like one of those comedy movies from like the 80s. You do one dude just blow chunks, the guys will look over. You got all the new bikes are just going to be puke colored. It's oh, disgusting. Oh. That would be awesome. I'd be laughing my ass off both times. Nothing makes me laugh harder than puking. <laughs> What's wrong with you? We're also, we're also going to have a special introductory shot when the uh, uh, gun goes off to start the competition. There will be a, there will be an official Le Mans start, as you will, if you will. You've wanted there to be five shots before we start, about an hour ahead of time. You try to take Nick out right off the riprap. Well, I think you'd have to go by body weight. So you'd get five and he'd get like one. He doesn't care. You could give him as many as you want. He's good. Yeah. That's all. As he sits here drinking a pint glass of fucking tin cup. (laughs) He's priming. Oh, straight on. So does anybody, anybody else have anything else they'd like to add in the way of notes? No, we're just going to have to talk. Don't bet on me. Don't bet on me. (laughs) Me neither. I'm just going to show up and and do the best I can. (laughs) What I can tell you guys is in in your benefit, the bikes have been remarkably consistent. I mean, remarkably consistent. They have the exact same hardware leftover every single time. Hint. (laughs) That's uh. Like there's, I I would be shocked if there are any surprises. I have written a special rule that's a secret rule in case there are in case we encounter a surprise. So if we encounter a surprise, there is a special eleventh rule that will go in. That would be like if somebody in China decided to fuck you over. Uh, that's, so it would be my idea of having a, a pocket full of nuts and bolts to toss over at other people is <laughs> not a good idea. I think it's a good idea. If you can handle the penalty, it's a great idea. I'm going to go to like the thrift store, just buy some random shitty piece of like new furniture they have. And you know how they come with the bags with like F on them and stuff. Just grab a bunch of those and just. (laughs) You dropped the bolt. You dropped the bolt. (laughs) Again, if I didn't cover it in the rules, that's because Chris is there to be the floor official. And, you know, if Chris deems it worthy of a violation, if Chris deems it worthy of an infraction, it's an infraction. Right. Uh, I can be a real cocksucker. I'll tell you that. We know. <laughs> I have no doubt of that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm certain you guys will all do well. I'm certain you'll do great. Uh, we'll, we'll bring Oscar up to speed. He's out of town, but we'll bring Oscar up to speed and make sure he's good to go. The, uh, but the funny thing is the excitement at the shop. The excitement at the shop is off the charts. Everybody who works in the shop is super excited about it. Everybody has come up with great ideas on how to make your life harder. Uh, <laughs> I, one person, I'm not going to mention their name, said that they should have to build the bike with oven mitts on. <laughs> I, no, Steve had the great idea that, take your glasses off, we should have to build the bike with his glasses on. That is, <laughs> like, I don't know if you can like. 
<laughs> trying desperately to line up a bolt and a nut in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, I'm like, I'd rather be blindfolded. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the number of ideas that people have thrown out to to kind of make the to make the challenge harder or to make it more difficult. Honestly, I think that if we get an hour and a half out of this, I'll be super happy. My fear is that we'll get three hours out of this. <laughs> <laughs> we have chocolate cake. You know, I just reach a I reach a tipping point, and then I don't know. It could all fall apart. It's all good, and then the, the malort sets in, and it's just like, "Fuck the bike!" <laughs> there are there are definitely some points in the bike. There are some points in the build where you're just going to be like, "Oh shit!" Uh, I know because I said, "Oh shit!" the first twenty times I built one. Uh, there are definitely things that are like, oh, why the fuck? And and you'll get it. It's fine. It's it's easy. Do they it's have not that hard though. It's just a little one twenty five pit bike, right? And look, we're not asking you to build the motor. We're not asking you to put the piston in. None of that. This is this is CKD, man. This is a knockdown. This is a very. This is the way that people get around laws in other countries about like, is the bike built there or is it assembled there? Um, this is the lightest amount of work that you are allowed to do to call the bike, you know, a bike that's essentially lightly assembled. True, so, real truth here. Nick, how many videos have you watched so far? I have watched about two minutes of one video. Okay. How about <laughs> we're, about you? The, we're about the same thing. I couldn't really watch. I started watching a video of it. I'm like, yeah, the one I, I watched one for two minutes and the dude did like seven things wrong already. And I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> wrong video. Yeah. yeah, it was bad. I've what? never watched a single video on these things. I've simply, you just, you know, it's like Ikea furniture. You lay the shit out, you figure it out. You know, you look at it and right. it makes sense. You know, the hardest thing, like I, I built a couple of, you know, the, the grim and another one for my buddy. The hardest thing for me was just getting them out of the goddamn crate. Like all the metal and shit. That's harder than building the bike, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know what it is? That's cruel. That's not hard. It's just fucking cruel. Yeah. It's just unnecessarily mean. Like the amount of effort that gets put into the engineering of that crate, it's just mean. There's just too many parts, you know? Are are there extra points for creativity? Like it's not right, but it's creative. <laughs> yeah, right. I like that. That's the Lego Expert Builder series. You know, where you're just kind of like, oh, I never, I wouldn't have done that. It's a strange flex, but I give you credit for it. Handlebars up, handlebars upside down in the cafe position. Cafe position, yeah. right? That's it. Well, yeah. What? What about bringing your own parts? Like, what if I want a high set of bars? Can I bring in a higher set of bars? Sure, why not? Ooh, I'm right. on a tractor seat for John. I don't recommend it. <laughs> if you want, that's your game. Um, and then, the, like, as we go down, you know, once we get done, you guys, would, the, the chance, one person is going to have the ability to pick the bike that they want to build. Everyone else will have to build the color that they choose um, randomly. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's your bike forever. Then that's just, you know, that's just the way it worked out. So um, they'll, they'll all be fine. You know, they'll all get ridden and we'll change the oil and all of them eventually. And, you know, they'll, it doesn't necessarily matter what color it is. I know a guy who can cut graphics and we could make any bike, any color you want. 
and it was black. It's just going to be a lot of black graphics over the whatever bike you get. <laughs> I think he's going to have a a West Cooley replica SSR one twenty five. No, I'm thinking. Oh. What was the uh, what was the um, the Vespa that came out the the we should just take all like one person should throw the other guy as front fender. One dude should throw another dude the side thing. We should oh, have Patrick family. Family. Yeah. family bikes. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> just remember, none of these bikes are going to customers. They're all going to us. So, you know, no oh, good Lord, die. please don't let them ever go to customers. <laughs> He's gonna die. Nobody's Nobody gonna wants die. that lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, it, it'll be a good time. I, I think that I think that what you'll discover is that it's it's a good. I think it's a really good challenge because there's nothing in here that's going to be like, oh, you've got to have these absolute special skills. Skills, but what you do have to you have to be careful. You have to be thorough. You know, you've got to you know have a logical mind and look at things logically and put it together um, and that kind of thing. So, what time is this uh, uh, spectacle <clears throat> taking place? So we're going to do it. Um, we want everyone to be there at six o'clock on Saturday. So a week from this Saturday. And AM. What's that? AM. AM. Yeah, six AM. Of course. Uh, anybody who knows me that knows that you don't need to ask that question ever. Um, there is only one six, and that's the PM. The uh, six AM would be an advantage to me. Yes, exactly. Now, fuck that. I'm not doing that. I'd like to do it at nine PM, so you fall asleep in the middle of it. Excellent. Uh, all you older guys will be handy. The uh, but we're going to do it at about six o'clock, and we'll probably go. You know, we'll probably go on camera and pumping it out to the world somewhere around between six thirty and seven o'clock. Right, uh, just gives us time to get our uh, feces in a row, and we'll be cool. And I, I'm going to say that I think it's going to accidentally be the best show ever produced in the history of television. <laughs> okay. The best worst show ever. I think it's going to, I think we're going to get an, an, an Emmy for sure. I'm going to uh, take a smoke break about halfway through. Just so you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get an Emmy Osaka. Maybe I think we might. I think that the failure, uh, I, I think that the, what we think is going to happen won't happen. I think that everybody will build their bike and it will, it'll all be fine, but it's going to come down to fucking minutia. I think it's going to come down to some really, really, really bad decisions made by me. I think I'm going to come down as being a tyrant. I think what we're going to walk away from this is that I'm a bit of an asshole and that I think five people are going to be very, very upset with me and one person's going to be thrilled. <laughs> And Chris will make no friends. <laughs> Not that I have any anyhow. I think it's going to be it. I think Chris is going to be no friends whatsoever in this one. Uh, That's cool. Has anybody seen the uh, YouTube video for uh, Moto Stories Donkey Phil that Steve dropped yesterday that is the AMA Vintage Days extravaganza? Yeah, that turned out. I haven't had a chance to watch it, but I will say that my... Daughter watched the uh, Crack of Dawn video, the big firecracker video. That's she a good was, one. That, yeah. The AMA Vintage Days video is amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm going to stroke Steve's ego as hard as I can right now. It's fucking awesome. 
I, you talked. You and John talked. I just sat behind a camera, man. Yeah, he, did, he just sat behind a camera. He's dropping shit in left, right, and center. There's images, all kinds of extra video, tons of shit that shouldn't have been out there. I didn't know that he had recorded my diatribe on vibrator racing. Uh, <laughs> my, my poor man's guide to, to vibrator racing. <laughs> I forgot. I don't know if I, I, to be honest, I didn't know I recorded that either. I don't know. We were, we, that was the third cocktail break in the air conditioned uh, thing. It that took morning. me 15 seconds of listening. To, I was like, what the fuck am I talking about? And then I caught it. I was like, oh shit, I'm talking about how to organize vibrator racing. I'm literally teaching people how to gamble on vibrators. I mean, the old slot car. <laughs> it, is, it is the Pinewood Derby adult version. The Pinewood Derby Triple X. And everything so and but the videos the, the footage is fantastic the footage of john and you running around in the booby bouncer is <laughs> fucking gold see here's the best part i had no idea that most of that existed because you know my phone was hooked up to the googler right 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 i was trying to find one goddamn picture or something and all of a sudden there was these videos and shit that i have no recollection of taking like i think when <laughs> john when he was driving around and i was in the booby bouncer I think that was like, we were trying to go back to sober up a little bit. Like it was, that was a, yeah, that was, so I had no idea any of that was on camera at all. I was so pleased. I mean, I just, I could not have possibly been happier with the whole, just like the whole experience. Um, for, for people who don't go, um, we have a friend named Andrew, Andrew Rates. Um, he's, Oh, captain, my captain. Uh, we all, he's become part of our little, our, our corner, the Louisville Vintage Motorcycle Club, uh, their corner of the camp. I feel like we've become part of his corner. Well, no, that's exactly right. He has managed to run that corner. And we just, we're just the neighbors a couple of doors down so that we have plausible deniability when shit dies, right? When shit blows up, we can say, we saw it. Or we saw the cloud, but we weren't actually there. Yeah. And it is so funny because when you look at the video, when you look at, you know, the Motor Stories with Unky Phil AMA Vintage Days edition, it's so funny because he's ripping through there and he does the not a ramp jump. <laughs> so he, he peels off the perfect not a ramp jump, gets incredibly long distance out of like a two, like an 18 inch ramp. He was going like 60, though, on a PW80 or whatever. I don't know how the fuck he didn't kill 19 people in his rundown. I don't know. Like, there's no point at AMA Vintage Days where you can go 75 feet without killing people. Right. And he managed to weave in between 19 people and not kill anyone and get that bike decelerated after that jump. So well done, uh Andrew, uh, well done, Drew. Captain, my captain. Well, well executed. And he was wearing Liza's uh, Evil Knievel suit. Evil Knievel suit at the time. Yeah. Perfectly done. So, like, I think that for people who have never been to AMA Vintage Days, I think that your video does an excellent job of illustrating why you should fucking go. Yeah. You know, um, it really does. Uh, people watch that video. Uh, it's it's probably the best and i'm only saying that because john and i did it <laughs> well yeah it was great but the comment i don't think it could be any better no script one take yeah it was really good and the That's comments the we're getting on it are ridiculous and really cool it's uh, a couple cats from the uk commented and said they want to try to come over and they really want to hang with us and so i told them if you guys get here we'll make sure you're on two wheels at some point during the weekend absolutely. there's 
it's just it doesn't get any better that and and I'm so glad that John was there to help me tell the story because AMA Vintage Days for me and John that's church for a long time I mean that really is that's that's a big deal for us man and it's it's just I'm so glad that we've been able to share it with so many people and, and get more people into it and make it dumber uh, it, it's been great yeah is the place is big enough that like you know like if, even if it swells by 10,000 people it's not going to change what it already is you know what I mean no, it's it's yeah bring your friend it's happen this year one way or another if it doesn't happen there it's going to happen out in Oberlin I think you're right yeah I think that if it doesn't if, if we're not allowed to have AMA vintage days the way that we would kind of expect it to be um, on a you know fend for yourself kind of situation uh, which I'm becoming more okay with uh if if it doesn't happen that way i do believe that you know your guys you guys are on the target with the just you know this is what it is this is what it's going to be and you know if you can't if you can't keep the cooties off of you in a big giant open field then why were you making out with that guy anyway <laughs> it's true I mean, it's true it's just that I'll, I'll be responsible for my own intake and my own exhaust. That's the best I can hope for, right? Well, you know, I'm sorry, I'm pretty surprised, like, knowing that we're coming, to, coming towards the summer that AMA hasn't, like, at least said, like, we're thinking about this, but obviously we're waiting to see what happens. You know, like, they haven't said anything. Yeah, I, I, it's a touchy thing right now for everybody, and I totally get that. I, I really do, because, I mean, as though everyone's talking about the hospitalizations have gone down, the body counts are still super high, guys, you know? There's still a lot of people getting put in body bags. And um, a lot of the people that would go to AMA Vintage Days are in the high-risk category. Mm -hmm. So keep in mind, a big part of what makes that place spin and make that place turn are the legends of the 50s and the 60s. Those guys that set the records and, and made motorcycling interesting and made it fun. We don't want to lose those cats. We don't want to lose... Our, our veterans, our people that built this shit and made it better. Um, that, that would be awful, you know, and, and if that means that we have to, you know, pump the brakes on that, then that's what it means. But yeah, we can't have a situation where an event that is supposed to celebrate the trailblazers and the people that made motorcycling great go in there and get all fucked up and die off. It's true. As much as we'd like to buy the bikes cheap next year, don't take it the wrong way. We don't want that to be the reason why. Although in 2019, we did see that if you are going to be an older dude racing and you're going to die at the thing, do it like on the straightaway at about 104 miles. That's the thing, again. Yep. That was beautiful. Valhalla. Yeah. You tell me that everybody, every single person is like, no, that guy actually died doing exactly what he loved. On the straightaway, like wide open throttle. Like, what, how much better can it get? And he didn't have to hit a bridge or anything. Like, no. it, you know, like he was dead before he hit turn one. Yep. That's the craziest thing. It's like, well, how do you know that he didn't die at the point of impact? You know? Because he never, there was no braking. There was no exactly <laughs> he was fucking straight in. He didn't <laughs> slow down and like crash. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. He got he got to go out at the perfect moment. 
Well, it's, everything's coming together and you're just hauling ass. Think about it. On a bike, too, if you go limp, you're probably keeping the throttle wide open. You know what yeah. I mean? Unless your hand fell off or something. There is no place in the world that, that you could literally be like, okay, I'm, I'm relinquishing control to this motorcycle at, at mid-Ohio race car course. Unless you're at the beginning of the straight, you're going to know about it within about 17 seconds yeah. you know, or less. There is, there is no point on that racetrack where you'll have more than maybe even five or 10 seconds to, to have an effect on your surroundings. And if you don't, people are going to know about it real quick. So yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's a very opportune moment for him to leave this mortal coil. Yeah. We'd be doing what you love. Right. Oh, I don't know the guy's name, but here's to you, buddy. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on. That's the way to do it. And well, he was also like a lifelong racer. Cause I remember, I, I only know this cause I was standing underneath the thing when they were announcing it. Yeah. He was, it was like his 35th year of racing that series. Like he was like, you know what I mean? Like that was his whole life. Like he's done it for so long. It couldn't have been more an appropriate way for that dude to go out. Oh, I it's, totally the, agree. it's the one way you can die and nobody, nobody's like, Oh, that's too bad. They're like, yeah, right on dude. <laughs> exactly. That was fucking perfect. I think everybody there was thinking the exact same thing is like, you'd hate to see somebody go, but, but you gotta give him credit for being able to go out on his own terms. So. Everybody, like, I, I remember, like, walking past people, right? And they're like, what did that guy say? It was like, somebody died. And they're like, oh, no, what happened? And they're like, um, he was an elderly gentleman, and he died on the straightaway. And everybody goes, oh, that's awesome. Like, it's like not that the guy, I mean, everybody felt bad, but I mean, like, you nailed it. Like, you, I literally heard people flipping the script because they were like, well, you can't be mad at that. You can't. There's no way to be mad at that. Oh, that's it. I mean, if he was 20, you'd be like, okay, sorry. Right. But the dude was like 78 years old or something like that or whatever. Well, I will say this. Whoever the race director was, that dude passed tech. And when you pass tech, that means your bike passes tech, your leathers pass tech, your helmet pass tech, and you pass tech. Right. Somebody let him on the track. Hey. <laughs> they should have known, like, right before they were starting to go, he's, he's taking nitroglycerin pills. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, but the thing is, I mean, my buddy Eric, you guys met Eric, yeah. ICU nurse. Oh, yeah. Like, about three weeks ago, he had a massive fucking heart attack. Perfectly healthy dude. You would never know it. Not overweight. He liked to drink and everything. Right. He had the Widowmaker, a hundred percent blocked. Yeah. Like he literally fell. He drove himself to the ER and fell on the floor on the ground in the ER. Ten people rushed. They they took him in. They immediately gathered. They like saved his life, but he should have been dead. Was he shoveling snow? No. He was he was painting. He was sitting there painting the house. Okay. He's like, you know what? I feel weird. And then all of a sudden, fucking pain. And then he called his buddy who's a fireman. He's like, we're coming there. We're gonna respond. Yeah. We're, you know, he's like, fuck that. He jumped in his car and he was like, drove there, like, uh, uh, uh. parked his car, like, ditched his car, stumbled out of his car, and flopped in the fucking ER. Oh my god. That's and he's only and he's like forty five. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, our buddy Gary Freifogel a couple of years ago on this very, like last very weekend, Valentine's Day weekend, um, we got a crazy blizzard and he went out to clear his driveway um, the old fashioned way. And when he was out there shoveling, he popped a valve and took a header onto the driveway and Mother Nature laid down two feet of partly cloudy on top of him and nobody found him for about a week and a half. Oh, and so uh, that's that's what I'm very concerned about. That's why um, that that big, you know, shovels. 
Yeah, that's why that MTD out there is in such prime running condition because I will not shovel snow um, aggressively. And I won't do it. It just, it's not something I am trained for. I have not been practicing my CrossFit snow shoveling. If I go out there and try to shovel a bunch of snow in a hurry, I'm going to pop a valve. My body's not used to that type of work. It's so common. My my ex-wife, um, you know, her dad died doing that. I remember her, she was still married to me at the time. And I remember her squealing. Her dad oh. died stubborn in the snow. Yeah. And when he died, you know, like they told us the stats. Yeah. And especially in places like the Midwest, you know, not so much where whatever, but like right. where some, you know, like sometimes it snows, sometimes it doesn't. So it's not something that you're kind of like building up to or something. You know, some years for five years, we don't get anything. Then the following year, it's a dump of two feet or something, right? They said that like when that happens, the two foot snowstorms, yeah. they get like a thirty percent spike and like a, some ridiculous number, man. It was like insane. Unless you're a stoker in a steam engine, you are not prepared to shovel your driveway. Like there, there's no training. There's no machine at the gym that simulates that. Um, you just aren't good at it. Trust me. Like unless you get, unless you're a ditch digger and that's what you do for a living. Or especially when the plows come by after you just finished your fucking driveway and they put like the six inches or 12 feet of ice, right? So, you got to do it again. Yeah. We are very generous with our snow blowers. Like we, we loan the stuff out. I will show up my neighbors at the shop. They know I, I'll take care of, you know, the houses left and right of me if I can. Yep. Um, let those with good snow blowers take care of those who do not, you know? and help each other out because it's crazy and uh it's it's amazing how tough it can be but it's also amazing how therapeutic it is to go out and run your snowblower like fucking great going out and running your snowblower is like church it's so great you know you you just take it over you can go it's actually it's actually a little bit bit better to have mrs smith go out and run the snowblower (laughs) avoid that I, I was just about to say, in, in the winter, you're not running your lawnmower, you're not riding your bikes, you're not doing anything. So it's it, there's like a, a novelty what? about starting an engine in the dead of winter. Yeah, nobody gets mad at you for doing it at 5.30 right. in the morning. You're, it's the yeah. only time in the world where you're allowed to start a loud motor at 5.30 in the morning and everybody's kind of cool. They're like, oh, cool, he's doing it. Hey, my driveway's over here. You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when I had my snowblower, it was probably the loudest, if you can call it a vehicle, that I owned. <laughs> I'm actually so proud that we got a young guy who lives in the neighborhood and somehow he must have happened into a fairly nice sized snowblower. And this kid, Damien, he's been out, he's fucking Peggy's like, he was around three times today. I'm like, good. Finally, some other motherfucker to take over the chalice yeah. of doing all the sidewalks for a three rock but because I'm like I don't mind it, but it's just kind of like, you know, I'll go out there and I'll be out there, run two tanks of gas out of my snowblower. I'm like, Who has uh, uh, heated grips on their snowblower? Oh, uh, God, that's a wow. good idea. <laughs> Damn. Wow. You have heated grips on your snowblower? Yeah, I bought a, a, a new Husqvarna a few years ago, um, like a, on a clearance in the spring. That's amazing. Dude, that is. Does it have a sit down sulky on it? No. (laughs) I haven't been able to run the one at work. Steve bought a massive Honda on tracks at work. Oh, really? I'm impressed. (laughs) That's saying something. I'm going to have to stay after school someday and take it for a ride. (laughs) I'm stuck on the shovel. 
Yeah. Oh man. No, I will not do a shovel. I will pay my own money to buy another snowblower if I had to be on the shovel. Uh, it's that snow, the a good snowblower is worth its weight in gold. Um, I, I just, I'm going to swear by that. If you live in a part of the world where you don't understand snowblower snowblowers and understand the art of snowblower, James, God love him. But years ago, James tried to clear a stoppage in our snowblower. And, you know, we all know the rules. If it's too heavy and it's too slushy, no matter what snowblower you have, it'll fill up the chute in the auger, you know, the two stage type snow doors, it'll fill up the chute and you got to clear it. And they, they, they usually give you a plastic stick um, like the world's dumbest shovel and it'll be clipped to it somehow but they have all kinds of safety so like you can't possibly reach in there to, to stab at it and keep the power to the auger at the same time it, they built it then unless you're an orangutan you can't do it James had somehow managed to put that up and <laughs> all I know is I showed up at the shop and there was blood all over my parking lot and when you see blood in the freshly fallen snow and a snowblower parked over there with blood on it, it's creepy. Like, that, is like, that is not what you expect to see when you come to work. Uh, I called James. He'd managed to get himself down to Fairview Hospital, and he had managed to mangle up his hand and took a pretty good-sized chunk out of his eye. And so something that was in there. He shot himself in the face with his own finger? So he ended up in stitches. Right so today was the first day. This is years later. Today was the first day that he, we were unloading six bikes. We had six bikes show up in the 18 wheeler and we had to clear the path. And I was like out there hustling like a maniac and Wayne's helping and James is there. So I'm like, I just told James, I was like, grab the snowblower. I have been doing it. I'm like, grab the snowblower and clear out that area. Wow, you talk about PTSD. James wouldn't get near that fucking thing. <laughs> I mean, straight up, he did not want to do it. And then after he finally got it started and, and got it going, he like was legit. He was not running the impeller. He he was not engaging the left drive system. He was just moving it around. And I was like, that's a fucking broom now, you know? You gotta you gotta <laughs> fire up. He was straight up. I looked at his face. I saw in his eyes. I saw fear. And yeah, PTSD snowblower style. That's what living up north's all about. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So he's got the the official like you know the snowblower hand. So yeah, he's they didn't reattach. I, he's just no. He's just got some. He's just got some scar. You know, some scarring and stuff. But yeah, he's straight up. He My dad did the same thing. He took his off right about here. Yeah, because he stuffed his hand back in his glove and finished blowing the snow before he told anybody he'd done it. <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> Nice That's insane. Well played That's crazy So yeah that's about it um, If you're if, if you're listening to this in Texas I'm sorry You guys By the time you watch this It'll all be over um, I hope that your families have dealt with it I feel terrible for you. Um, this is what we deal with every year, but our heat stays on most of the time. Yeah, Our electricity stays on most of the time. Um, I feel terrible. What you guys have been hit with, it's a natural disaster, but there's a lot of, there was a lot of bad planning that led up to it, making your lives as hard as it is. Well, so, there's a, the, the thing too with Texas is that 
in some ways you have to respect them because they didn't want their grid connected to anybody else because of federal oversight of the grid. Right. And and so, I mean, in one way it was smart, in one way it's not. I mean, Oberlin was like that. We weren't connected. And then as soon as First Energy tied their shit wires into ours, yep. everything fails once a week, they take us down. Right. So, exactly. I mean, so there's a ble- it's a blessing and a curse if, you know, yeah. depending on, you could be connected to First Energy, they could drag the whole world down. That's right. Um, I mean, it is. It's a tough thing, and I'm not going to get into any of the, the billionaires behind it that controlled that system. Uh, I, I feel bad for everybody who, you know, turns on their furnace and it doesn't light up. I feel bad for everybody that is going out in their car to try to stay warm and then runs the gas out of their car and the gas pumps don't have any electricity. So we've got people that are in Texas that are just dealing with every manner of shit storm, literally. They don't have water because all the water pipes are frozen. Everything's electric. So it, it really brings it around. It's like, man, it's pretty easy to throw people into chaos and put their life at risk. So uh, keep that in mind, you know, just when you're thinking about your own personal, personal sphere of influence. I know here on this podcast, we're unusually well-equipped because we're all half preppers anyway with multiple generators and, you know. But I bought my neighbors a power inverter for Christmas. Right. I'm like, just take this, put it away. You can hook it up to your car. We can plug your furnace in. We can rub. Just don't even worry about it. But come see me if the power goes out. Exactly what it comes down to. And, you know, in, in previous power outages, I was running generators that I own out to other people, you know, and it is uh, it's just one of those things. But you could either be the person that looks out for others and or you could be the person that just looks out for yourself. Just don't be on the victim side of the spectrum. That's that's where you never want to be. So it's too, it's tough. And I feel bad for the people that are going through it because I know that I know how scary it can be and how miserable it is to, to be cold and be scared and not have any way to heat yourself up. Right. You know, if you're burning grandma's armoire. Well, they had like 300 cases of people, you know, like, uh, asphyxiation, you know, because they're not used to it and they're like, Oh, well, We'll just start the car up and sit in the car in the garage. Yeah, you know, and the generator yeah. inside. Or running the, you know, just not being acclimated to that whole situation. Really, really tough. And, and you know, for, for people that don't live with the cold every day, it's it's a thing. It gets to you. So that's really, really tough. So you feel for the folks that are dealing with that right now. because that But is, the best video was the kids driving down, guy on skis on Texas Highway, whatever. <laughs> They got the hatch of the SUV open. Guy, everybody's drinking Budweisers, yeah. and they got a guy out there on a ratchet strap on his skis yeah. going down the fucking highway. <laughs> fucking right on, man! I assure you, I am one hundred percent on board with that idea. <laughs> I, I, I have done it. You know, we've done it here when we've been snowed in. I mean, I was a, I was a young child at the age of you know eight years old or nine years old during our blizzards of seventy seven and seventy eight. I'm sure Dan was 46 when that happened. <laughs> but, Ouch. But, but I can tell you that we've always looked at those opportunities to be like, okay, this is game on now. This is going to be some shenanigans. No and, day. <laughs> and, it's, and it's true. So that's it. So anybody else got anything else? Didn't hear a joke from Chris. I know. I was about to say, Smith brewed up a good joke we didn't hear yet. Oh, yeah. So there is an elderly couple who uh, 
in their old age, they noticed they were getting a lot more forgetful, so they decided to go to the doctor. The doctor told them they should start writing things down so they don't forget. Uh, so they went home, and the old lady told her husband to get a bowl of ice cream. And you might want to write that down, she said. And the husband looked at her and says, no, I can remember you want a bowl of ice cream. Then she told her husband she wanted a bowl of ice cream with whipped cream. Hey, write it down. And again, he said, no, no, I can remember you want a bowl of ice cream with whipped cream. Then the old lady says she wants a bowl of ice cream, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. Write that down, she told her husband. Again, he said, no, I got it. You want a bowl of ice cream, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. So he goes to get the ice cream and spends an unusually long time in the kitchen, over 30 minutes. <laughs> he comes out to his wife and hands her a plate of eggs and bacon. <laughs> the old wife stares down at the plate and for a moment looks at her husband and says, where's the fucking toast? <laughs> that's good that's perfect <laughs> well on that gentlemen ride fast and shake chances shake chances shake chances <laughs>